are listening to Video Games to the Max. Hello and welcome to another edition of Video Games to the Max. I'm your host, Sean Garmer. Here with me today, not Mark Orson, it is Jordan Ando. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. Uh, so you live in the UK, so I had to get up a little bit early uh, for this one, but it's okay. Um, I <laughs> mean, how, how, how is it there? And uh, Very yeah. sunny right now. And, and yes, uh, it's, so I'm about five hours ahead of you, I think, something like that. So um, yeah. it's actually afternoon for me right now. But, you know, that's, uh, as you said, that's why you had to get up early. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be on the show here. Yeah, so um, it's okay. I just realized. Go ahead. I I just realized that I didn't have my mouse. <laughs> That's so good. It's, um, it's so live, yeah, live it, recording, it, people. <laughs> it's uh, but yeah, it's good here. Like it's you know, I, I we'll we'll talk a we'll talk a bit more about maybe why I don't like this country that much at the moment in video game terms, but um, but yeah, overall good. I you know I. I I love living here and and uh yeah I just it's weird for me because as you know Sean we've spoke for a while I'm kind of up very late in the night for me yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so this is this is a bit unusual um but I you know I've been trying to come on this show for a while now and you had Jeff Young on recently and um he's a partner of mine now which we made the announcement yesterday that I'm joining Analog Stick Gaming uh dot com uh basically as co-owner and i'm going to be responsible for mostly video content over there because we're going to be doing our own podcast which is the gaming mix podcast uh but i'm going to be helping out with reviews over there as well and then obviously i write for outer haven which we both do a little bit of as well yeah uh, I need to get back. I'm going to get back to that. As soon as we start like this month, I start doing the work from home. So I'll have more time. I don't have, I have two hours at least where I'm not driving and then driving back and I can kind of have more routine because I'll have to be here. Most of the time I can't uh, yeah. be switching between uh, my house and my girlfriend's house that I do now. So uh, hopefully, yeah, I, I feel bad. I feel so bad being in that chat. I'm the only one that doesn't really contribute that much. Uh, but Keith is the best guy there is, and he's you know, he keeps me. He's around. amazing. I love yeah. I love Keith. He's so helpful, and you know when he brought me on board last year, I didn't think it would lead down this road of right. kind of now co-owning another website, and I'm going to continue to write for Alter Haven as well. Um, but that was never my ambition, right? Like I was just doing writing about video games because I love video games. You know, right. I. I I, uh, you know, studied for three years to make video games um, and I've had nothing that's quite panned out the right way yet for me, yeah. but but that's just the industry, you know, and, and um, we'll talk a bit more about that later as well, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, we certainly will. Um, yeah, <clears throat> the whole crew over there at the Outer Haven are amazing. Uh, you know, you guys that have been listening and watching for a while, you know, I had Scott on a few weeks ago. I've had Keith on. I've had Carl on. Uh, Carl's a trip um, and you know I've had I've had almost all of them on at this point as uh, so if you Keith wants to come on again so I uh, may have him on next week but yeah let's let's get into what we're doing here today uh, we're gonna have more Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom talk because Jordan's been playing that and of course we will be talking about this PlayStation showcase that 
Man, it's gotten kind of a bad rap at this point. We're going to talk about if it really deserves it or not. Uh, Last of Us Factions has been scaled back. We've got to talk about that. And a few other things uh, to get into as well. Uh, plus, you know, Jordan's going to talk about his uh, history in gaming. So we'll get into all of that. And all right. So just because uh, even though I'm not really paying any bills here, I got to pay some and do some housekeeping. Uh, just in case this is your first time listening or your hundredth time listening, I always appreciate you. We always appreciate you here. Mark, I do hope you keep recovering from your ankle surgery and get better. I think he's finally getting out of the rehab now. So uh, that being said, if you watch, you can watch live. I really can't tell you right now the schedule's everywhere because I have to go based on, you know, like Jordan's schedule because you guys are the ones guesting, which I really appreciate. Um, and so either way, you know, you can always watch On Demand on YouTube, WC Network. Just go on there. Uh, and remember, not only do you get what we do here, but you get the uh, entertainment stuff with the Radlitz folks. So they do movie reviews. Uh, they just did the Fast X review. They do music and, and TV shows and stuff like that. Uh, and always also got anime with Talk to Keiki. They just did the two-year anniversary show. So very proud that they've been able to be here for two years. MMA with MMA for Marks and more. So, And then also you can listen you know, with your ears on podcasts. Uh, wherever it is that there are podcasts, just go search Video Games to the Max. And you'll have uh, whenever we do a show there for you. So with that out of the way, Jordan, how how much have you been playing of Prince of the Kingdom, how so, far are you? So not as much as I would like. I'm only a couple of hours outside of the sort of tutorial area in the game. Okay. Um, but I love this. Like, you know, first of all, I just love it as a gamer. I think it's so, like, the sense of adventure in it is amazing, right? right. But then even when I put my designer hat on and I start thinking about it from that perspective... I don't know how they've made this and how it runs as well as it does on the Switch. And I'm not saying there isn't problems with it, right? There are there are clearly performance issues here and there. But my God, like the systems they're dealing with on the back end here, like the physics stuff and the basically allowing you to do anything within the realms of, you know, it's just like, I don't even understand how they came up with this. <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's so weird. It's it's um. How do like, they go I, from Breath of the Wild to like all of a sudden just hey, we're was, gonna let you do anything? Like, so so my thing about Breath of the Wild was I enjoyed it, but it didn't quite click with me in the same way because what I found was that they gave you a lot of freedom as a player, but they were also limiting you to a certain set of rules, if right. that makes sense. And it was like, you've got freedom, but it's within sight, within these boundaries, within this set of rules. And you can't really break this set of rules. And obviously some people figured out ways to manipulate that a little bit. But with Tears of the Kingdom, it feels like they sort of just gone, okay, let's throw the, the rules out the window. And now you can just do whatever you want. You know, I had it the other day. What happened? Oh, I was trying to get up a like a slippery wall, right? And there was no way for me to get up this wall. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to cut some trees down, stick them together, and then climb up the trees. And it worked, you know? And it's... Yeah, it's amazing. Like people, like, um, t- I think Jeff was saying that he solves everything. I was just making a bridge. 
<laughs> I'm like, wow, this is uh, they just allowed you to break the game if you wanted to. They just just let you do whatever, however you want to solve something. But that's the funniest thing to me is like, if this was any other game, I do feel like the general sort of conversation around it from the players would be, oh my god, this game's broken. But because it's so clearly an intentional part of the design, that's why it doesn't feel broken, right? Because it's intended. Because it's meant to be that way. They're trying to give you that freedom on purpose. I remember that I was, uh, even in the tutorial area, there's this kind of one final shrine that you have to go to uh, to get a, to get a heart, right? To You need to get the last thing to get a heart. Right. And um, I didn't... <laughs> so I got to it by ascending through the tree and then walking to it the other way i went the completely opposite way to anybody else i didn't freeze the things and climb over like i just i just went a completely different way and then when i figured out i came back through the other way and i was like oh my god i literally just spent 10 minutes walking around this way and doing it this way when i could have just walked through this other (laughs) this other door you know and it's it's so like that and that's what i mean about the sense of adventure because it has that skyrim thing right i don't know if you remember back when skyrim came out and it felt like every single person's experience was completely unique and therefore it created a bigger conversation around the game because it wasn't just about talking about the things you'd find in the game it was talking about how you interacted with that game and how that differed from somebody else and that's what makes it so fun you know and i'm seeing people build crazy stuff like i saw someone build uh metal gear the other day like they literally built metal gear in wow. zelda it's just like wow okay so yeah i think this game is going to be one that people remember for a long time and and probably has some significant impact on the future of open world games like breath of the wild did to a certain extent as well like we know that elden ring was somewhat inspired by breath of the wild right and then this feels like the next kind of evolution of that it's uh it's amazing to me how like I think you brought up a great point in that, and people have brought it up, but it's just sometimes you get engulfed in the hype and in the love for something that you don't go, wait a minute, let's, let's have some perspective here. Would you actually care about this the same way if it wasn't a Zelda title? And I was like, wait a minute, that's this, the magic of Zelda, right? Like they can do that because they know that people love Zelda that much. If you do it in another game, it's not the same. Yeah, and and also I think the other thing to say is, before we move on to speaking about other games, is like, any IP, any IP, Zelda, Mario, uh, God of War, whatever it might be, right? When it's a known IP and a known quantity, there is some level of, what's the right word to use? It... It's almost like we all, we all have rose-tinted glasses for IPs yeah. that we love, right? And that's not me taking away from any game because I do think Tears of the Kingdom is the best game I've played this year so far. Uh, certainly in a design sense. I haven't played enough of the game to sort of definitively say best game, but in a design sense. And I think that when you're a well-established IP like that, you can get away with taking risks because... Right people give you leeway 
right? You, you, the gamer will give you leeway because they love the IP. And I think that, you know, something we could perhaps talk about is how maybe certain platforms lack some IPs that people right. love, so they don't get the leeway that other platforms do. Um, you know, and we're going to talk about PlayStation later on, but there's a reason that people are reacting to the showcase the way they did because there are certain expectations around their IPs and around their studios. Um, no. And I mean, you're right about that. Like they, uh, Sony said several times that redoing God of war, the way that they did was a huge risk for them, right? They didn't know that it was going to be accepted and beloved that way, but because they have the history of God of war, having Kratos in a different way yeah. actually provided people to love it more because it's like oh the thing about that one as well is there are people who are fans of the original sort of god of war trilogy that actually right. don't like the god of war they're they right. are out there we don't we don't hear from them as much <laughs> exactly. there maybe we aren't do. as many of them but they are out there and that's the thing is like risks are good right we right i'm gonna talk i'm gonna bring up one game that i have played recently uh but i'm not playing at the moment I played a bit of Redfall. We know how right. Redfall went. Exactly. But but Redfall was a risk for Arcane. And for me personally, as a creative person, but also as a gamer, I would rather my studios were taking risks and having those risks sometimes not pan out. Because when those risks do pan out, you end up with things like Tears of the Kingdom. That's the thing. <laughs> so it's, you know, <laughs> I'm never going to be against risks in a creative sense. Yeah, I mean, Redfall has its own uh, issues that probably have to do with the people that are above them mm -hmm. also not being comp not helping them with taking that risk as well, whereas Nintendo was totally on board of, hey, let's do this. Let's let's go full bore with this, but uh, not to get too much into that um, yet, or if we do, uh, just just to ask you an aside here, because you mentioned it, I, I wanted to like get your, your thoughts. Like, from a game dev perspective like i know you talked about how amazing it is but it's like the switch is freaking six years old yeah. and nintendo somehow breaks <clears throat> people's minds with like look literally mm -hmm. putting these two things together looks like it's easy but it's not yeah, yeah and yeah. like how do you do it? how how are we doing this with the switch like it's, like, it's yeah it's it's sort of boggling to me right so i have a bit of an insight on it but the only thing i could really say is from experience, when you're making a game for only one set of hardware, it's always going to be a little bit easier to opt, right? It's always going to be, and and uh, that's why I'll never really be against exclusives in any sense from any studio, because if a game is exclusive to a certain set of hardware, it's always going to be more well optimized than it would have been if it wasn't exclusive. I, I'll give you an example, and I'm not saying this, I don't know, right? I'm not saying this game is going to be more well-optimized, but we know Starfield is coming out soon. I expect that Starfield will be a more well-optimized game, being only on PC and Xbox, than it would have been if it was also on PlayStation. Yeah, I mean, you would hope so, right? <laughs> uh, at least you wouldn't have the whole... Oh man, somehow it runs better on PS5, even though it's uh, supposed to be an Xbox first party thing. 
So, which happens a lot. But so. what I would what I would say, going back to Zelda specifically, is I think it does prove one thing, and that is things that you can do with hardware are just about taking the time to do. Like this game, this game took what six years to make. Right. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things to remember about why it potentially runs as well as it does. Um, most of the assets are the same from Breath right. of the Wild. Okay. So those assets, not in a bad way, obviously they're improved, but the base of the asset is is years old, right? And it's designed right. to run on the Switch, those assets. The things that make Tears of the Kingdom different are the systems. So the way that the powers work that you have and the way that you can interact with the physics in the world and do crazy things, that is the performance challenge because as a developer, if you don't know what the player is going to do, how can you optimize for it, right? right? So so what you have to sort of do in that sense is you create this this ideal way of playing. You create this way of we want the players to play this way. This is kind of what we expect them to do in this situation. So we will make sure that that thing is optimal. It's the same way that Bethesda optimized their games. And we know that they've had trouble with that. But theirs are so crazy and they give you right. so many things to do that it's just, that's impossible, right? In in Tears, what is good is they know, okay, people are going to, you know, set fire to the grass to create some wind and then fly up into the air but they know how that works so they can optimize that specific interaction for any sort of situation right the problem becomes when you start sticking things together and like this guy that built metal gear if he starts walking metal gear around firing at god knows what and you know (laughs) doing whatever that's probably going to break the game in a performance sense because right. they wouldn't have prepared for people to do that. Does that make sense? You yeah, can okay. Only it does make so sense, much. right? There's some um, things that it's like, yeah, we weren't expecting you to do this. So how are that, we gonna? Yeah. And that goes to a wider conversation about how, you know, we've seen a lot of games recently that are, uh, let's say, poorly optimized at launch, right? At right. least on one of the platforms. Like, I think. Um, uh, uh, Jedi Survivor was Je- PC. Yeah. yeah, Jedi Survivor was mostly on PC. It was sort of hairy and on console. From what I heard, it was largely pretty good. Um, at least in one of the modes that they had there. So, so that was okay. But it's like the problem is, and I think what gamers potentially forget and don't necessarily think about is, let's say that you've got uh five hundred people. And this is a lot of people, right? But let's say that you're like a rock star and you have 500 people in your QA department and you're able to go through the game with a fine tooth comb and sort of optimize as much as possible, right? Even when you have that many people, which costs a lot of money for years and years, you are going to have bugs in your game because you can never prepare for what millions of people are going to do in your game. The way that bugs work can often be completely randomized it might be that you've interacted with a shop in a game seven hours earlier that's caused the bug <laughs> you know it's right it's sometimes it's the order <coughs> in which you interact with things can be the thing that causes the bug <laughs> the bigger the game that allows you that much freedom 
Yeah. Like, I'm sure Starfield, as much as they want to cr- take the bugs out, because you have so much freedom, because you oh. get to potentially go to any planet or whatever, it could cost so much. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you can never prepare for what millions of players are going to do. And you don't know when you're giving them enough freedom to do things in an order that they want to do things in. You don't, you know, you can, there's only so much you can fix ahead of time. And that's right. why in this in this day and age for the big AAA games that we're talking about, Starfield, Zelda, etc., that's why you always have some level of performance issues. I could I could hop onto Tears of the Kingdom right now and I could make the frame rate tank. If I did enough things, there would be a, do you know what I mean? I just right. have to start setting fires and sticking loads of stuff together. Like they don't know what players are going to do. And therefore, they can't prepare for it. They can only fix what they can fix, yeah. right? So there's always right. going to be, there's always going to be a situation where a game is going to play better six months down the line than it is yeah. at launch, and no, that will right always be the case. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. We do have a topic to get into that's a bit more focused on that. Um, so, just to I guess get into some other games we're playing. Uh, both of us have played uh, Cassette Beast. Yeah, and this is like a basically like a Pokemon like, uh, but you're doing it through actual like '80s cassettes. If you don't know what that is. You, uh, Put it this go. way: if you don't know what it is, go and check out my review on OuterHaven.net. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'll have a link in the description. <clears throat> because yeah, uh, this this game honestly fantastic. This is yeah. this is like this. I say it in the review. But this is what I wish Pokemon had become. You know, this is what I wish Pokemon had always been. It, to me, it feels very much like they went back to the original Pokemon from about 20 years ago. You know, like that kind of early 2000s, late 90s era of Pokemon. And they sort of went, what if Pokemon went in this direction instead of this direction? And then they've created the game, right? And and they've right. got, you know, I, I liked, for example, there's a bit in the game very early on where you get wings, right? Like you get you get a double jump in the game for traversal your character. But the way they even explain it makes more sense because it's like you transform into these monsters. So this monster, the first monster you capture with wings literally gives you the ability to use these wings, you know? It's it's just so good, and I mean, it looks beautiful. You know, it's it's the other thing to say is it is on Switch now. It's it it yeah. released on PC first of all, and it's also on Xbox. It's on PC and Xbox Game Pass. It's on Game Pass, yeah. So, you know, if you've got either of those, it's definitely worth at least trying out if you're even a small fan of Pokemon. Oh yeah, if you I, I play it with Game Pass, I I wanted to review it, but I was like, man, I got other things that I'm reviewing around that time, so I don't want to like overload myself, and I've already overloaded myself previously. Uh, you know how that goes, <laughs> Jordan. Um, yes. Yeah, like for me as a fan of Pokemon, especially if you're a fan of the originals of blue and, and <gasps> red and yellow, and you wish that you know you could go back to that time. This is exactly that, but then they added stuff on top of it. Yeah. Uh, like you said, better platforming. The, the Pokemon, the the creatures fuse together yeah. with the actual trainer, and, or and the, you can the play yeah. the entire thing in local co-op. Yeah, 
that's so. cool too. Like, imagine if you would have been able to do that as <laughs> in a Pokemon game, like, right? Uh, so that that's what's incredible. It's like you don't necessarily. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have like a, what they're trying to do. You know, the open world Pokemon or whatever. That's pretty awesome as well. But sometimes it's like we focus we focus too much on like making more creatures. And not like what can we do with? I mean, I get it with Pokemon. You have so many Pokemon at this point that it would basically break them. Yeah. Of like, how many of these do we decide that we have fusions or whatever? But I mean, even yeah. Cassette Beast has so many different fusions. And, you know, right. they, I think, I can't remember exactly because I haven't played the game for a while now, but it's got over a hundred different beasts, right? Yes. And, the amount of different combinations you can have within that for fusions is crazy. So it's not unachievable. That's the thing. It's like a lot of what they've done here wouldn't have been unachievable for Pokemon. All it is, is Pokemon decided to go in a different direction and there's nothing wrong with that. That's creativity, right? I just find that for me, Cassette Beast nails what I want out of a sort of Pokemon-like and I actually think it does Pokemon better than Pokemon. I will go that far. Like, I, I think it's that good. Um, yeah, very, very impressive. Very impressive game. And I really highly recommend it. Yeah, definitely for me, it's probably going to be one of my favorite games of this year already. I'm just, I mean, look, I, obviously there's some nostalgia bait going on there too. And there's a lot of games still to come out, but it's, um, it's one of those like surprises. One, that, one part of yeah. it that I really like that I recommend checking out, even if you don't play the game, is the soundtrack. It has a oh, really yes. good soundtrack. So, uh, you, and you can find that on YouTube as well. So, mm-hmm. just go and check that out because that soundtrack is really good. Yeah, like I'm sitting there walking through the overworld, and it's actually like somebody with vocals, and I'm like, okay, I'm not used to this, but I, I kind of <laughs> dig it. It's okay. Yeah, like so it it works. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that some. I mean, People should play more indie games. You find awesome things that you don't find in AAAs. The ideas that the AAAs eventually take come from... It was just like earlier this year, right? Um, So another one of my favorite games this year so far is Hi-Fi Rush. Like, I thought Hi-Fi Rush was fantastic. And when you play that... Like, that game was clearly a smaller scale of project, Right. right? But it's also not an indie game. And I think that that's something people get a little bit confused on sometimes where they see a game and they sort of associate this smaller scale with meaning, oh, it's not going to be as good then. And that's not yeah. really how video games work. Like, Yeah, Pentiment and Grounded also suffer from the same thing of like, oh, it's on a smaller scale. It's not this big, huge <laughs> thing that they're hyping up. So that means it sucks and it's like no no no. you need to give it a shot it's actually really good you know yeah so i do think all indie games as a whole suffer that and i think you know it's a shame really because they're getting better and better all of the time and the other thing to say going back to some dev speak for a minute is um we've obviously got unreal engine 5 now right and that has tools within that engine that for for indie developers and for double a developers that are making certain types of game those tools will really help them to close the gap to some degree on triple a's the problem is of course every time the tools improve the triple a developers then push the boundaries even further right right? 
But we are getting to this point where actually the quality of a double A game isn't that different to a triple A now. If we're really being honest, the majority of the time, the quality difference between double A and triple A often comes down purely to polish. Right, exactly. That, that, like, if the we're production being honest, value. It's, yeah, you know, it's like my my game of the year last year was um, Plague Tale. You know, the Plague Tale sequel. Um, honestly, it's one of the best games I've ever played. Like, it's in my top ten of all time, and I know that so many people that would really like that game won't play it just because it's a double a game and not a triple a that's so ridiculous (laughs) to me a game is a game man like i don't i don't get that whole like if somebody tells you the game is good unless it just aesthetically doesn't please you which i can understand uh you know cassette piece like oh that's too old for me like i get that like my daughter might tell me i can't with that do you know what though that's such an interesting conversation that we could have about how just the look of a game sometimes affects someone's decision to play it or not even like literally the art style it can be oh that doesn't look like a game for me so they automatically rule it out based on how it looks without even trying to play it and that to me is so interesting because you know just again as a developer it it sort of brings it home that you want as many people to play your game as possible Right. But the second you make a decision about art direction and art style for your game, you're already closing off so much of an audience that potentially will actually really like your game. They just don't like the art style part of it. But I don't know, maybe it's just me, but in recent years, I've tried to avoid ruling out a game just based on how it looks. And I think that has been something that's happened more as I've been in development. Because I've sort of realized, you know, like back in my younger days, I used to only play AAA games, right? That was, I I did not play indies, but that was because it goes back to that thing of they looked lesser. Do you know what I mean? They looked like lesser games. And therefore, you assume that they are lesser because of how they look. I mean, also you have the the thing of you're possibly not buying the game for yourself. So you're having to make sure that the game that you're buying you're going to enjoy because that's true especially yeah. back then yeah when i yeah. when i was uh having other people buy the games for me when i was younger you have to make sure because you only got so many games a year right exactly right and um i was i was quite fortunate in the sense of for people that don't know i have a disability so i have cerebral palsy uh which for me isn't serious it's a it's a spectrum and i'm kind of somewhere in the middle of that spectrum so I can walk, but only with crutches. Um, but I have full use of my arms, right? Whereas for other people, it can be more severe than that. Um, so I've always been able to play games in the traditional way with a traditional controller. But because I couldn't run outside and play sports and do whatever else, gaming from a really young age has always been my thing. Like the first video game that I ever played was Ocarina of Time. Okay. Okay. So I started high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Started... Once you when you start at that level, then yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, so Ocarina of Time was the first game that I ever played. Um, although it's not the oldest system that I've used, because as I sort of got a little bit older, I actually went back to a few SNES games as well. Um, and like one of my 
one of my favorites that I play now because uh, it, it released on modern consoles as like a package is like Zombies Ate My Neighbor. <laughs> just, oh man, Zombies Ate My Neighbor is so great. Yeah, love that game. And I don't yeah. even know why. I just, it's, you know, it's just, it's, I think there is this nostalgic thing when you think yeah. back to certain games and it's like the time in which you play a game oh, can exactly. make such a difference for how exactly. you view that. You know, um, anyone who knows me and has listened to any of my previous podcasts, because I used to do the G4A show um, before recently. And, um, you know, you will know that one of my favorite games of all time and one of my favorite franchises of all time is Shenmue. So Shenmue is a game that obviously released for Dreamcast, you know, back in 1999. And it just blew me away because to me, that level of being able to interact with the world and look in drawers and, you know, <laughs> find different things. And it was like this sort of, in a weird way, it was kind of like a detective mystery. And right. the game hasn't aged well, right? Because it's over 20 years old. But it's weird because I stopped it from aging in my brain. Because what <laughs> I did yeah. was, so Shenmue 1 came out in 99, Shenmue 2 came out in 2001. And both of those games, I've played every single year since they've released, wow. at least once. Yeah. So because I play them every year, they never age for me. Yeah. But it's because I like And they're always awesome because you're you're reliving <laughs> that as well. Yeah. Right? So, so it's, and it's great. And it's like, but if you go back and even look at those games, because I would suggest it, they were, from what I know, they were the first games to ever have a fully voice acted game. Like every NPC in the game was voice acted, not just the main characters. Um, they also did this really weird thing. So for quite a long time, they were the most expensive video games ever made, right? They like, which is I mean, crazy. Yeah, think like, about all the stuff that went into that, like you said. Like they used real, uh, real world weather data because it's because ba- the game is based in Japan, right? The first game mm-hmm. is based in Japan, and then the second game you go to Hong Kong, but. They use real-world weather data, and originally they actually had a system in the game that would allow the AI to make up their own schedules in the world. So if you needed to find a certain person, you'd have to figure out where they are because they might not be in the same place all the time. They ended up not. They ended up having to turn that system off because they found through development that it was breaking the game because what would happen is all of the NPCs at one point went to this one shop in the game and because they all went there around this same time, they actually got stuck and it broke the game. (laughs) Wow. So it was... um, So there's some interesting development stories about Shenmue and stuff as well. So if you're interested in any of that, I would look it up. But mostly the reason I'd look it up is because I personally am of the belief that it set the ground for what a sort of story-driven game is today. And I think that those games were so far ahead of their time in so many ways that that's why they didn't connect with as many people as they perhaps should have back then. Um, And unfortunately, because sometimes (laughs) when you're the trend, when you're the originator, there are people, there are games that come after you that do it way better on a bigger scale and you get forgotten i I honestly think if you you know if you haven't seen these games go and watch a video and let us know in the comments after if you agree but 
I I honestly think that without Shenmue and Shenmue 2, story games would not be what they are today. Like the right. Yakuza series, for example. Oh, especially um, Yakuza, yeah. You know, Yakuza literally was born from Shenmue. I believe yes. that I can't remember exactly who it is, but I think the original producer of Yakuza or the original director, I can't remember which one it is, was a producer on Shenmue. Right. So there is that connection there. It's just that Yakuza went one way and Shenmue, you know, because it wasn't successful enough, they didn't believe in it and then they wouldn't fund the third game and the third game ended up coming out years later. Yeah, way later. Uh, You know, and it's like, I wish that that game had come out with the same kind of budget as the first two games because I would have been really interested to see what they could do with it. But... (laughs) What the if you remember that reveal from a PlayStation showcase in about 2015, I believe it was, yeah, that uh, E3, uh, yeah, where they revealed it back to back with the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yes. Yes. And I'm not joking, it made me cry because I've waited for Shenmue 3 literally half of my life at that point, uh. and it's just like when you want a sequel so much to a game, it's it's I don't know. I can't really describe it. And obviously that sequel didn't pan out the way that we wanted it to as Shenmue fans. But what I appreciate it for is they made that game and they consciously chose to make it like it had come out in the early 2000s when the original sequel would have come out. So they used the same voice actors they used the same, essentially, tech. They didn't want to improve the voice acting because they wanted it to sound the way that it sounded. Yeah. Um, and obviously, they improved some of the systems and things like that to modernize them. But ultimately, they wanted it to feel like the same game. And mm-hmm. that's what ultimately hurt it. But at the same time, as a fan of the series, I kind of appreciated that they stayed faithful to what those games are so so yeah i've been gaming for a long time sure yeah. a long long time well uh definitely that's awesome to hear and and you you know you show that passion right here through what you've just been talking about just to go back to what we were talking about uh, a little bit ago because uh our you know your buddy jeff here is watching uh, live which we appreciate that nice Hello, um, Jeff. <laughs> he is he commented about the the what we said about any games which now uh there you go he he does mention which i think is actually appropriate he says you know a lot of the indie games back then were digital only or you really didn't know uh much about them they were on pc which not everybody played pc games That's and the AAA really games true, are in yeah. blockbuster you could go to any blockbuster or any place <laughs> you rent games and buy go rent whatever AAA game there is and then now, because of Game Pass, because everybody has free games on whatever service you have, you, you get to play a lot more of those. And right? this is why, you know, this is why I'm personally a big fan of not only Game Pass, but any subscription service that comes for gaming. Yeah, PS Plus has been doing I, that a lot this year. I, I honestly think, you know, PS Plus isn't as useful to me as a player, but that's just because I'm, you know, I'm going to buy the PlayStation exclusives on day one when i want to play them right right and because they don't have that in a value proposition ps plus isn't as worth the money to me however outside of that 
I just think it's a fantastic service the same way that Game Pass is because what it does allow is games that haven't had as many players, even if they come later, they mm-hmm. sort of get a second life. That's because, me because I haven't because, played a lot of the PS exclusives. Or because people game, go, yeah. people go, oh, I haven't played this or I didn't pick that up because I didn't mm-hmm. have money at the time. And then sometimes we all, we've all done this where we really wanted to play a game but then it gets too far past the game and we start looking at the next thing instead. And then we just sort of completely miss stuff. Right. Um, And I think that subscription services really, really help with that. I do think there is potentially one issue with subscription services. And that is, it makes it so easy to jump in and out of a game that I sort of think we know that some games, for example, are slower to start with, right? They start slow right. and, and then they get to a point where it's like, okay, this game's really good now. Um, and I think that big, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> because it's so easy to jump in and out of games now, there are some games that won't get the love they deserve because right. people won't play them long enough to see how good they really are, right? Whereas when you're buying a game or even when you're gifted a game from somebody else, you sort of give it a bit more time because right. if, if someone's taken the time to be like, Oh yeah, I want you to play this game. I've literally bought it for you. You're going to sort of out of respect for that person. You give it a mm-hmm. bit of time, right? You, even if you're not liking it straight away or whatever, um, you know, cause I think of something like Ori, I don't know if you played the Ori games. Oh, Ori is amazing. Yeah. But, but, you know, the second Ori in particular is a really, really good game. And it was a game that I was telling a friend of mine to play for a, for an entire year. But he's a more PlayStation focused player. So it took a while to get him to play it. But I remember he played it for about 20 minutes and he messaged me and he was like, I'm not sure if I really like this. And I was like, oh, why? And then he explained because he said it just feels a bit limited. And I was like, keep playing. Because when you realize, because he hadn't played the first game either. So right. when you realize what kind of game Ori is and you start to unlock more skills, etc., that's when it becomes a really good game, right? It, right? It's not it's not a great game necessarily when you first play it. But that's the thing about games is it's the whole thing that makes it good or whatever, right? Like right. you might have a bad section. Like I'm sure that even Tears of the Kingdom has a bad section within it or it has a section that people don't enjoy as much that doesn't make it a bad game like sometimes i remember red dead redemption 2 a few years ago the the start section of that game in the snow for a lot of people put them off because it's like two or three hours basically a tutorial section but it's also doing a lot of story setup and uh it doesn't allow you into the open world immediately, right? Which isn't what right. people expected. But actually, if you get past that, that game was really, really good. It's yeah. just that a lot of people didn't even get past that opening section. So I think that subscription services potentially will change the way that video games are made. Um, yeah. In Just on, a, on the back end of like, if you know you're going to have to grab gamers quicker in a game, your pacing of your game is probably going to be different. Um, and that affects the scale of games and things like that as well. Right. So. No, you're right about that. Uh, there's, but there's a lot of people also that just, that's just the way they are. They yeah. They don't have true. the patience to wait and see if the game gets better 
or the issue that we have now is we have way too many games oh, that yeah. come out oh, all the God. time. So there's always that thing of, oh, well, this is not grabbing me. So I'm just going to go spend the 60 bucks and buy this other game. Yeah. And they drop it anyway. So, That's true. That's yeah, true. It's just Game yeah. Pass and, and PS Plus have that issue of, okay, here's the library of Netflix where you can just go sort mm-hmm. through. And if this game's not hitting for me, I'm going to go grab something else. Yeah. But then you do also have that just normally when you buy games. A lot of games are changing anyway that way because, oh, I got to grab them now. If I don't grab them, they'll just drop my game and not play it. Yeah. yeah, people's people's playing habits are different these days. I think yeah. that we were, you know, we were talking about it earlier on about how when we were younger, you probably had limited games, and I was fortunate enough that mm-hmm. I actually got quite a few games per year because, as I was mentioning, it was one of the few things that I could really do from an enjoyment perspective, um, right. especially in my younger days. And so I would get maybe six games a year, something like that, right? Which was a decent amount. Especially but, back then, yeah. But it's it's kind of like when you can only get six games a year, what happens is, one, you make sure that you really, really want the game. And mm-hmm. even if the game isn't that good, you sort of play it enough to get your value out of it. Whereas nowadays, there are so many games that you don't need to play a game that isn't as good for you right and right. I, I think but that leads to an entire other problem that i think there is um yeah around like reviews and how people don't get me wrong i'm not against review scores of course i review games myself right but i do think there are too many people uh that sort of go oh if this game reviews below this number it must not be good even for me. And I think people forget that actually a seven for someone else might be a 10 for you. Like exactly. that's, that's the way that's video true. games work. And I think people forget that sometimes. Yeah. I, I think it's always, you know, that, that is very hard for me. Sometimes I always try to put that in my review that, you know, this game may not have been for me. It may be for somebody else. And that's the thing is like, but it's still a subjective thing. Like people should understand that I get Absolutely. it. You're taking a critical score. You're taking about 20 Absolutely. or 30 reviews, but uh, you should also <laughs> always watch gameplay and look and see if it's for you first yeah. before you go, Oh, I'm just taking oh, somebody's words absolutely. And, yeah, and you deciding should, it sucks. You should, yeah. never, you should never just take someone's words. And a reviewer that I would like to shout out here, and everybody probably knows this person by now, but skill up, right? Skill yeah, up skill for me. Great. does some of the best reviews literally in existence. And I I tweeted him a few months ago that his reviews are so good that even when he doesn't like a game, I know whether I'm going to like it or not, regardless of what he... Because he's so informative about the game and he's so clear on why he thinks and feels what he thinks that I'm able to figure out where my own tastes are within that. Um, so his reviews are fantastic if you're not following him go and follow him on youtube follow him on twitter he does some of the best reviews around like i'm not i'm not joking um no 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 you're not he's he's one of the best ones out there i mean uh when people talk about like you know in our in our section of it right we're more of on the journal side you know we still and i hate i hate seeing it but where we kind of sometimes you have that thing where people talk about YouTubers in a negative way. It's not the same, you know, and I'm just like, this is one of the guys that really 
makes you feel like it's he's doing game journal stuff reviewing and and it feels like he's really taking that time to grasp what that game is and and really put that into his review and it's not just oh i like this game it's cool whatever he's and the the other thing is he's he's clear about when he doesn't finish a game right but he also explains why he doesn't finish the game so recently i was watching his golem review you know the 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 game that came out recently that um doesn't seem like it's necessarily the best game in the world but it was one that i was intrigued by because you know i'm a lord of the rings fan and and I wanted to see what it was all about. So I watched his review and made my decision based upon that. Um, but he didn't finish that game, you know, but it's like, that's the other thing is I think there's this big misconception that to have an opinion on a game, you have to finish it because ultimately a review is an opinion. And I right. don't think you have to finish a game to have an opinion on it. But I do think there's a level, there's a difference between a journalist and reviewer and your average gamer out there that has an opinion uh in and what i mean by that is in the sense of your average gamer they can have an opinion of whether they like a game or not after 30 minutes right they'll know like they they'll know okay yeah i like a game or not the difference with a reviewer is you're trying to figure out not only do you like a game or not but you're also trying to sort of look deeper and figure mm-hmm. out how good the game is in comparison to other video games. Right. It's to some You're extent. thinking of it critically. You're thinking of it in a, how do all these things work in order to, yeah. to make that and game? And that's why, it so I, and I wanted to transition to, a, to another game that I played recently and reviewed, um, because you said something that just reminded me of the game, uh, is Ravenlock. Oh, right. and Ravenlock, yeah, I played that, yeah. So Ravenlock isn't necessarily a game that was massively for me, right? But I did have a really good time with it. And the reason I had a good time with it is because ultimately what they decided to do with that game was let's make our version of Alice in Wonderland. Let's Mm -hmm. make it accessible and easy to play, but with fun environments and a decent story and, and, and kind of you know let they're clearly aiming the way that i look at this game from me playing it is i approach the review as they are aiming this game towards a certain audience of a certain mm-hmm. age i am not in that audience and i'm not in that age bracket but do i feel that they've achieved their goal and i actually think this game if you've got if you've got a child that is you know, seven, eight years old, nine years old, something like that. This is a great first sort of action adventure game. It's it's pretty short. The the combat's fairly easy, uh, but it's colorful. The story's familiar because, like I said, it's inspired by Alice in Wonderland to the point where they straight up like. Yeah, they straight up characters. have like the rabbit and other characters. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. And it was a fun time. And the game is, I think it's like five hours long. Yeah, it's about five hours. It's, so it's one that you can finish in one playthrough. Um, you know, so if you're going to play it, like, I, and again, it's on Game Pass. But mm-hmm. if you're looking for something to play with a younger child, I would really highly recommend it. And that's why I gave it the review score that I did. I believe I scored that one four out of five on the Outer Haven scale. Um, 
Sorry, I've done quite a few reviews recently, so they sort of meld together, the scores. Um, but I believe I gave that one a four out of five because ultimately part of reviewing a game on the journalistic side as well is how well do they know what they're going for? And you're having to kind of interpret what are they going for with this game and do they achieve their goal, right? That's ultimately <laughs> that's ultimately kind of what you're looking at as well. There's right. there, so it's more there's more to it than I enjoy the game or I don't enjoy the game. That's a massive part of it, of course it is, but that isn't the only part of an official review. Well, and that's I, that's different than gamers having a conversation on me. Is uh, yeah. is what I guess I'm saying. No, no, you're right about that, and uh, I think also. As reviewers, some we are able to put in perspective what the game is trying to do yeah. and its limitations as well, right? Yeah. Like the you know, your GQ gamer will look at that and go, Oh, that's one of those indie titles. I look at these graphics and look at how simple the gameplay is, and like that's all they think about. They don't want to go past what that is or what this could be. And that's the thing, yeah. is like the the individual parts of Ravenlock aren't necessarily the best that I've ever seen, right? No. But somehow combining those choice of elements together, for me, created a very good game. It created a game that I enjoyed for five hours. I was I kept playing because I wanted to finish it. Like, this is the thing. When I know that I want to finish a game, because sometimes for a review, you do feel like you have to finish a game. But when you start to feel like, no, I actually want to finish this game, you know it's had some sort of effect on you. Because if you're wanting to finish a game, even though you have some problems with it, then it's doing something right. And ultimately, that's what I try and put across in my review there. But I do think, you know, it goes back to that thing we were saying earlier that I think Ravenlock, for example, probably got hurt for the fact that it released around the same time as Redfall. It was also on Game Pass. Um, yeah. So it kind of got hurt by part of that conversation, if that makes sense. But I think there's a lot of subscription services in general do a lot for these smaller games. Oh, and and sure. if you've got these subscription services, start checking out some of these smaller games, especially if you're someone that's got limited time to play as well, because you know, they're so much shorter, a lot of these games, right. that you can jump in and jump out really, really easily. And I would recommend it because let's look at it, right? What was, what was, uh, what happened the other year? Hayes like one game of the year with It Takes Two. Yeah. That's because yeah. It Takes Two was a fantastic game. Like it was a fantastic game. It's still the only game <laughs> that I put on with my daughter and she is instantly captivated. And she yeah. wanted to keep playing it. Yeah, that's I how mean, good of a game it is. It doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah, how much of a gamer you are, it no, it it grabs you. It and grabs yeah, you. that's exactly yeah. the kind of game where a lot of people. And it's nothing wrong with it, of course. I'm just discussing the way that people look at games. A lot of people would automatically rule out that game just because of how it looks. And yet it went on to win game of the year and be without a doubt, without even any debate, it was one of the best games that year, even if yeah. it wasn't your game of the year, you know? <laughs> no, no, you're not wrong. And I in the case of Ravenlock, I also ran in I ran into that 
where oh man this this game is not difficult this the if you get how the combat works you can pretty much kill the bosses pretty quickly but yeah. it's like there was something about it that i was like oh okay i'm gonna put it down but i kept i could put it down and it's like and I, I don't why think am i still playing this you know? my th- my thing was i don't think it's even meant to be difficult I think yeah. I think the point of this game was almost like let's be an interactive adventure mm-hmm. for a younger audience, telling them a version of a story that they are somewhat familiar with. Right? This feels like the game that a child would imagine. Like this right feels head, like yeah. this game is this is something a child would imagine after watching Alice in Wonderland, and they would be yeah. like. They are Ravenlock. They would become Ravenlock exactly. in their head, and this is just the video you go game the version that you that. have in your room, and it's there. You know, yeah. So it's like, and that's what I loved about it because it it almost in a in a weird way took me back to being a kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> Still no, not sure how to shield in Ravenlock. I, I, I agree with him because I never use that thing. <laughs> You just go swipe, 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 and that's it. But I'll tell you <laughs> like, what, you, you um you get special attacks in that game as well. Yes, you do. Yeah. And they're actually really good. They're really fun to use. So <sighs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like you shouldn't um you shouldn't just look at it and go, all right, whatever. Just like because... I get it if you say it's not for you, but of course. Um, but the other thing is one thing I'd mention just on Ravenlock before we move on because I think other games suffer this issue as well, is I think there's an assumption around if a game is easy, then it must not be good. That's just not true. Sometimes an easy game is a good thing. Like, I found Ravenlock to be really chill out, to be quite honest. Like, I'd play it late mm-hmm. at night, and I'd just chill out looking. The, the The hardest part of that game is when you have to find five of a certain item and yeah. you're sort of looking around and you can't find the last one. And that's that's kind of the most frustrating that you'll ever get with the game, right? But it was chill because it was going through. The boss fights are fun, even though, again, that once you figure out the combat, they are easy. They're, they're, they're still fun. They're well-designed and they're... they're and they're in, really cool in, to look at too. They all have this different aesthetic to them that it's like yeah, so, so I think you don't see that in every game. I don't know whether it's because of from software games and Elden Ring specifically, but there does seem to be a thing in recent years where people all of a sudden think that easy games aren't fun or yeah. somehow aren't valid. And it just that's not that's not true. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's not. I hate that feeling of like everything has to be Dark Souls and everything has to be. And if it's not, then you are. I mean, um, Keith, Keith from Outer Haven would probably say everything has to be Dark Souls. Well, but, of course. But um, yeah, no, I'm just. Do you know what? I love variety. Personally, that's me as a gamer. <laughs> it had better <laughs> stealth than Gollum. Um, I love, I love variety, and that's why I love subscriptions. Going back to yeah. this going back to where we kind of started on this tangent here like i love subscription services because they've enabled me to have more variety in the games that i play because when there isn't a cost involved you're more easily going to try something that you wouldn't have tried before same thing with uh you know when they have the steam sales or playstation Mm -hmm. has their sales when you can get things cheaply it's so much easier to take a risk right Nintendo, you know. Nintendo, please ever would you please like 
Get I'll never get out of that game like, sell too well. I know. Like, what, it's... like, what did Tears of the Kingdom get in three days? It was it yeah, was ridiculous. Like Ten million. Right? It was ridiculous. Um, it's I just I, I do appreciate their little their voucher program thing because oh that I do yeah. Me uh like hey at least i can get 20 bucks off of it or whatever yeah because i don't feel like going to walmart to pick up and i think that's the thing i think they know that they had to do something right they had to do something to keep people buying their games because their games very rarely they're not even doing the like nintendo selects thing now because the switch is selling so well they don't need to which i understand but it's just like damn give us a break here your games all cost 60 dollars. i want to play more of them but god you know like so, yeah, but we I mean we buy them and play them still. That's the problem. Yeah. That's that's the problem. You buy even if it's like a year later, you still buy it. That's the problem. <laughs> so let me just get uh, to this one other game I wanted to talk about because wow, we talked a lot here and uh, we haven't even gotten to our topics yet. Um, so there's another game that's on Game Pass to continue the the trend here. Uh Planet of Lana, which is a game Ooh, that I've been waiting. I've been waiting to play it. Um, since they announced it at the Game Awards, I think a couple of years ago, and it's it's a side-scrolling uh, platformer where you have a, your sister that gets <gasps> taken away by these uh, you know robot alien things, and you're basically just traveling this world, jumping and and doing all that, and and trying to figure out how you get past the enemies when they show up, and how you get through the the level itself, and it's a a wonderfully told story they don't talk it's all through emotions and everything else and uh, i'm still in the middle of it but man it, it has lived up to the expectations that i that i had when i saw it so i got to play a very small part of this game uh at a game convention in the uk last year uh so egx it was that i went to and um yeah i got to play about 10 minutes of this game it just, you know, it looked fantastic. It was one that I sort of mentally took a note of and was like, I need to play this game when it comes out. And then it sort of snuck up on me completely. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize it was so close and and everything. So I haven't played it yet, but I'm going to when we finish here, I'm going to go and download it, and uh, I'll probably play that tonight. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so definitely, again, another game you should check out on Game Pass if you you have that. It's almost like uh, Game Pass has good games quite regularly. <laughs> right, right. Maybe Xbox doesn't have the greatest first party all the time, but they definitely have games for you to play. Uh, so let's go on and talk. Um, so you, you've kind of given some parts of the – you've given some answers to the questions that I uh, normally ask everybody that's a first-time – uh, guests here and I hate to like have to tell you to sort of we're gonna have to probably get through these a little bit faster than I normally uh, you know do mm-hmm. but just to you know get the you know talk about this um, you know you you basically already told us that you've always been a gamer mm-hmm. uh, that you know you did that because of you know, your unfortunate uh, situation that you you know you dealt with uh, since being young was your first was your first console the 64 then so so my yeah from from memory at least my first console was the 64 um but i was you know i was quite fortunate that i had two older brothers so we had a 64 but we also had a playstation like a like an original playstation um okay and 
as I got a bit older, I I played some games on that. Um, and then I moved from there, continued on to like Dreamcast and then uh, PlayStation 2, which is one of my favorite systems of all time. Uh, you know, and then through to kind of... I So I never owned an original Xbox, but my brother did. So I played some original Xbox and then Xbox 360 was kind of what made me an Xbox fan for the rest of eternity. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I, I, I will always I will always fight Xbox's corner somewhat because I remember them when, in my opinion, they were the best, right? right. They had they had a generation where they were the best. And uh I love that system. That system to me was basically like the PS2, but just better like as in the games had improved but it's as good as the ps2 as a system, right in my opinion um you know and then now i'm kind of fortunate enough that now that i'm older and i've got my own money and everything i can play on every system right i'm i would say the system that i least play on is pc but that's just because i'm at a pc working every single day and i don't always want to play on PC. i'm the same way i'm the same way <laughs> I'm literally at a PC all the time. And that's part of my problem with like wanting to write. I'm at a PC. Now when I'm going to be at the PC all the time at my house, it's not a big deal. But when you go to the office and you're at a, at a PC for nine hours, yeah, you don't want to come home and be at a PC again. So yeah. it's like... And, I, and yeah. I sort of shoot myself in the foot sometimes because there are games that I like, you know, I have a decent setup right now. Like I've... I've got a gaming laptop uh, with a with a 30 AC in it and 32 gigs of RAM and an i7 processor, like a quad core processor. Um, so it's a pretty good laptop. Like I can run, I can run most stuff at 1440p, sort of high to ultra settings. Okay. It runs stuff really well. So games often can look better than on the console, and they can run better than on the console but I just don't want to be sat on a PC playing games personally, right. personally. Do you have a console that you play on the most, I guess, out of the three? Or? So it's, de- so in recent years, it's definitely been Xbox. And I actually, I keep track of how many hours for my entire life. I know how many hours I put into each ecosystem. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So I'm at like, I'm at, so I would have to check it, but I'm at around, 16,000 hours on the Xbox ecosystem in my entire life. And then I'm at like just over 12,000 hours on PlayStation. And then on Nintendo, I'm I'm at less than 2,000 hours. But that's because I basically buy Nintendo systems just for Zelda games. That's kind of where I am with Nintendo. <laughs> um, and I'm sure, you know, probably the Wii might have been a difficult yeah yeah that was a difficult one that definitely was a difficult one as someone with a disability because there wasn't as much that i could do there but i enjoyed wii sports bowling now and again (laughs) yeah um Um, yeah that was so i i fell out of nintendo hard for a while considering it was my first system and i actually loved the gamecube as well i thought the gamecube was excellent but man once the wii came i i basically from the wii until the switch didn't play anything on Nintendo other than the Zelda releases. And then into the Switch, that sort of continued a little bit, but I obviously picked up Mario Kart and I also played Mario Odyssey as well. 
Right. Um, I actually have Metroid Dread, which I haven't played yet, and everybody tells me I should play it, but I haven't. Metroid Dread is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, <clears throat> I have a similar thing with that too, though. I love the Wii when you could play with other people. Like my dad is the one that actually had the Wii and introduced me to it. I hadn't played it before then. And we played Wii Sports and had fun and whatever, but it wasn't a console that I didn't want to be in my room standing doing stuff. Like I yeah. just I'm a gamer from you know five years old with the Super Nintendo. I do not like it's I have uh what does it call it? Ring fit. And that's all it actually works great as a fitness thing. When you want to do that, it's great. When I want to play rock band and I'm standing there with my guitar, that's great. I don't want to play like that all the time. Like I, I love my Switch because I can just sit back and, you know, play it while I'm laying down or, or whatever. Um, you know, you can say that's uh, lazy gaming or whatever, but that's just the way gaming is, unfortunately. Go, going you know? back very quickly to what you asked about what system I use most at the moment, it's actually quite interesting because this year I have found myself using PlayStation more than I have mm-hmm. done uh recently but that's also because i'm catching up on some stuff generally generally speaking what will happen is i use xbox mostly for kind of uh triple a third party games um especially if they're multiplayer games because most of my sort of friend social system is on xbox and and you know if they're playing there why am i going to buy the game somewhere else right um so i play mostly on xbox most of the time but i play every single first party playstation game like every single one um (laughs) you know i like i said nintendo is mostly zelda or at least has been for a while um and then yeah and then but what i have found is recently over probably the last year or so i've started to play a few more triple a's and and kind of and 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 third party games on playstation and i think what it is is there's something about playstation where i prefer to play single player games on it so games that i know that i'm only going to play by myself and i never have to worry about anyone else i prefer to play on there but it's frustrating because i actually still prefer the xbox controller i think xbox has the best controller i don't know whether it's just the offset sticks thing i don't know whether it's the size of the controller that kind of i have quite big hands so okay so um i think the size of the controller makes a difference to my comfort um but i love all these systems like you know and 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 certainly this generation i've used all of them more than i have previously when i've had all the systems you know so so it's a good time to be a gamer is what i'd say uh, definitely yeah I, I mean anybody like i i kind of get people they're saying okay the games are coming up the triple a sometimes becomes homogenized and all that stuff but it's like lude there has never been more choice there's never <laughs> been more available for you to play a game like if you're gonna tell me that you're bored there is something out there for you I to mean, find. You know? I mean, you'll you'll hear about some cool things coming later when we tell you what's coming out soon. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's like, um, so, you know, just to, uh, you kind of mentioned some of them, but like, what are some of your favorite games ever? So, so one that, that will now? be appropriate, which I haven't uh, mentioned. So, obviously, first of all, the Shenmue franchise, for all the reasons I explained earlier, that will always be up there for me. Uh, Red Dead 2 is definitely in my okay. top 10. 
uh, of all time. I just think the level of detail in that game blew me away. Just absolutely blew me away. But one that is very appropriate to a conversation we're probably going to have is Metal Gear Solid 3. Uh, hey, okay. Is, is one of my favorite <laughs> games of all time. Um, and that's because I think that when Metal Gear 3 came out, I was a little bit older and I think I could appreciate games slightly differently by then. And I could also appreciate stories in games slightly differently because Metal Gear 2 never connected with me the way that Metal Gear 3 did, right? Okay. But Metal Gear 3 to me is like. It's basically, you know, the way that I look at Metal Gear games is Metal Gear 5, I think, has potentially the best gameplay of any game in existence, right? Wow. But, it, but it's an unfinished game. Let's be real. It's an unfinished game where the story wasn't finished, and the way that the story is presented in that game, because it was more open world and bigger, was kind of an issue. Metal Gear 3 is like... The, the the kind of father of Metal Gear Solid Five, but it keeps the Metal Gear story part of it right. It's 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 okay. linear. It's linear, but it's big enough that it gives you the freedom to play in the same way that Five did to a certain extent. And my God, like you know, it's when we will talk about it. But you know, when I was made aware that and and and. Being a dev, I was made aware at a slightly different time to other people. But when I found out that this game was being made again, my god, man, it's it like I I cannot wait to play an updated version of this game. Like it's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you uh get that. Like one of your favorite games getting remade and getting to go through that. Um that's always an awesome time. And I, that's again, why I can't like, we live in an amazing time of gaming where mm -hmm. it's like, you can have those amazing nostalgia moments that you couldn't have when you were a kid. Cause you're You may not so even I, gotten to play that game. Till right. later. I do have a question for you. Cause I, I'm, yeah. I'm quite interested. Uh, where do you sit on these remakes? Cause obviously we've seen some this year that are really mm -hmm. quite strong with dead space and, and sort of resident evil Four. Capcom's killing it every time they, you know, do anything at the moment, basically. Yeah. But some people I have heard say, why bother remaking games? Let's just make new things. Where do you sit on remakes? I think it, uh, I don't, we live in such a world where nostalgia is such a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And as somebody that loves the fact that, whenever we get something on final fantasy seven rebirth, I'm going to be right there. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think it just depends on what Capcom has been able to do with these resident evil remakes is amazing. What squares decided to do with final fantasy seven, like when you're going to bring something different to the remake, I think that invalidates the, the talk about, Oh, well we shouldn't be remaking stuff. If we're just remaking things to remake them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we want to we want to have like last of us that's where i kind of draw the line of so there's one yeah so there's one little pushback i'll i'll give yeah. you on that one um because i think it's something that people overlook because it potentially doesn't apply to them right but as a disabled person that sometimes needs to use some limited accessibility features in a game right remaking something like the last of us enabled them to make it more accessible than it's ever been before okay and, that's, and it enabled that's awesome. people 
and it enabled people to play it that had never been able to play it before. And that's why I will always say there's a certain category of game, and it would be those kind of best game of all time type games that should always be remade if it's for accessibility purposes or for bringing it to a new audience, right? So something like, I'll go back to Shenmue that I love, but has aged really poorly. I actually think if that game was ever remade in the full remake treatment uh, terms and sort of like a Resident Evil remake, it would be huge in this day and age because it's like I said, you know, it just inspired so many things. But the reason people don't value that game the same way these days is because players will go, they'll look at it and go, but it's old. And it doesn't feel as good because it's not as smooth and all these kind of things, right? right? So there's always a place for remakes, in my opinion. Yeah. And how many people that wanted to play a game that came out 15 years ago or whatever might not ever have been able to play it? It doesn't mean they shouldn't have the chance to play it. I think that people just... They don't look at it from that perspective. They look at it, well, I can just go play the original right now. Yeah, and and it's it's like... like and it's, You're not understanding that there are people that will never touch that game because it just it's too old for them, mm-hmm. and also just you in need some cases, to modernize that, it. Yeah. In some cases, there are people that cannot play the original game, like right, they they too. physically cannot play the original game, and I just think that you know, let's be honest, human beings are quite selfish. Most of the mm-hmm. time, we only yeah. really think about ourselves, but. I think what people sometimes maybe there's a misrepresentation about what remakes are because remakes aren't always for the people who've played the game previously. Sometimes a remake is for a new audience and Mm -hmm. I think that's where the Last of Us remake sort of fits in is they remade that game for a new audience. They didn't. They didn't remake that game for the people who exactly. played it before. They made it for the accessibility, and then also for anybody that watches a TV show that one that's never played the game that now wants to play the game. And also, why yeah. would you not want to play a better version of of your game that you enjoy? Right. <laughs> and if you already bought it, if you already have the original remaster from 2014. And you don't want to spend $60 or $70 on it. And you, you don't, don't to. have to. You can wait. I mean, that's the one thing I will say that, you know, when Nintendo does something, it's difficult for me to put it in the in that category because of the whole, this never going to go down in price. Sony yes. puts stuff on sale so And also quickly. the other thing is with yeah. PlayStation Plus now as well. That mm-hmm. that game's gonna be on PlayStation Plus eventually. You yeah. know, it, it will be yeah. So you can either wait six months to be half off, or you can wait a year and it'll show up on PS Plus. It's like, you know, if you wait, it will come. So, you know, that's the thing that like I, I have an issue with people that like, dude, not everything has to be for you. It can happen. Oh, but that keeps them from making something else that they could be making. Why can't we just get a Dead Space 4 instead of a Dead Space remake? It's like because so many people will not have that connection with Dead Space because even though it's on Game Pass or whatever, they don't want to play it in the same and, and also in And also new yeah. isn't always better, right? Like right. Uh, one example that I'll give is uh, Gears of War had four and it's had five and it will probably have Gears six, right? 
but that's a completely different trilogy to the original trilogy. Yes, it's exactly. a sequel trilogy, but it is mm-hmm. completely different. But most people didn't even jump into 4 because it was called Gears of War 4. Whereas if right. you remake the original trilogy, people that have never played those games will play them. That like right. that's just that's just how gaming works. <laughs> like people miss things. People new gamers are coming in every single day. Like literally every yeah. day, someone buys their first console. So why should they not have great versions of games that we've already been in, been to play? You know, and I think yeah. also, and we won't talk about this here because we haven't got time. But there's a preservation thing as well, where mm-hmm. actually remakes help preserve games. Because right. they will give them a longer lifespan, where they and you get like uh, what's happening with Metal Gear Solid, where oh now they have a reason to bring those games forward mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. this to the next console because you're gonna play that and you're gonna want to go back and play the old games probably yeah now. absolutely so uh, you know Final Fantasy did the same thing with the remasters of one through six oh <laughs> you're playing all our other Final Fantasy games so here you go like why not. Uh, they took too long to put them on console, but that's another conversation. <laughs> but um, you know, so just to just to move uh, along here, um, I'm probably gonna skip one of these actually, just to, so we can push it a little bit. Um, so you're you're a little bit different than you know most of the people that I've been able to have on the show. They're either from the game journal side or they're a content creator. Or they're just a just all that they're just a gamer, right? You're different in that you went into the game development side. Like, what made you want to go? Okay, I'm going from playing video games to I want to make video games. That's a really interesting question, and actually, no one's ever asked me that. So, uh, <laughs> um, so I haven't prepared an answer for this one. But what I would say is, off the top of my head, what it was was. Every time I would play a video game, especially when I got to a teenage uh, sort of level, I I was playing games and every single game I played, I would go, oh, I would have done this or this is how I would make this better. And it was always in my head. Right. So the creative part of it was always there. And I've always been a creative person. I, I used to do music and and things like that. And, and I just think, you know, being creative it's like and when you've played as many games as i have like i was saying earlier like in my life and just to be clear i'm gonna be you know 30 years old this year right but in my life i've already played you know more than an average of a thousand hours a year of video games do you know what i mean so it's like Mm -hmm. so i've played a lot of video games even compared to your average player and when you play that many games, especially at a young age, you do start to think about, oh, what if I could make a game? You know, and I have so many. And and like I said, I've had some things that I've worked on that I can't talk about, but they never quite panned out for whatever reason, right? Um, and that's fine. But eventually I will make something, you know, and, and, and I have so many ideas in, in my head. And the, the main one for me as well is I just wanted to prove a point. Like I had this thing when I was younger where because of my disability, people would tell me, oh, you can't do this. There's no way you can do this thing. And I'd want to prove them wrong. 
And I think part of going into game dev was proving people wrong because most people told me yeah. that I wouldn't be good enough to do it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, it gives you extra motivation to want to do it. That's that's awesome. Like, yeah. The fact that you were able to. Um, is there anything you can say that you worked on? Um, so, uh, so all I can say is that you know I've I've been in the industry for a few years now. Um, I have worked on a few things. Uh, I've I've you know I've done. <laughs> I've I've worked on a few things that haven't panned out. As I said, I've mm-hmm. worked for companies that people would know, um, but I'm now working for myself. That okay. so that's what I will say, and I will say, keep an eye on me because at some point I'll have something to announce because I am actually uh, by myself working on a video game at the moment. Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. Uh... So hopefully, you know, one of these days, you'll, like you said, you'll be able to just be like, hey, I'm working on this game. Uh, so it's interesting also because you don't get this. There's a few people and I can't think of them off the top of my head right now. But like you don't get people that go, oh, I'm a game dev. Now I'm going to go into games journalism and mm-hmm. games content creation. And I'm not just doing I'm doing it more from a, that perspective. Like what made you go from, OK, I'm going to make games to to writing about games so what made me go full circle on that kind of part of it and why i'm probably leaning even more towards the journalism part now because i am independent right so i'm not working for any companies anymore uh so i can kind of say what i want there's a few things that i can't talk about and things like that but right but i can kind of say what i want because i'm fully independent now um but mostly it was, I love video games. I love every single video game in existence, even games that I don't like, even games that I don't enjoy as a player. I appreciate them. And when you, I think that when you get to that level of thinking about games, there's something in your head that just goes, I need to write about this for me, even if nobody Mm -hmm. else Mm -hmm. ever reads it. And that's kind of where I am do you know what the hardest adjustment was for me is moving from kind of the game dev stuff where I would sometimes analyze builds of a game and, and give feedback. Right. And, and you would do almost like what you would maybe call like a dev review where you'd look at a certain section of the game and you'd be like, okay, this works because of X, Y, and Z. And you would spend like, at least in my case, when I did it, I would spend literally pages talking about one element of a game. So actually the biggest adjustment for me was moving over to the journalistic side of things. It was like, how do I adjust from that really, really deep level of thinking to something that people can relate to? Because Mm -hmm. there are certain things I know about games that you wouldn't understand unless you have the same knowledge, right? It's And we've heard other game devs say that as well. Like, I can comment on one game as much as I like, but I don't know... I don't know the ins and outs of every situation, right? I don't know that... Just because I am... Just because I am a developer and I have knowledge of how games are put together... Yes, that means I probably understand certain systems better than your average player does, but I'm not going to understand 
every single situation, mm-hmm. in every single development studio, etc. I do talk to some some other devs, and I have a lot of connections um, because that's just sort of what happens in this industry. You you meet people, you stay connected. You know, the industry is very small, even though it seems like it's big. But yeah, it's not, so people, yeah. so I hear things all the time, right? And it's the same way. That's the reason that things leak is because there are conversations going on all the time. And you know, I've heard many things. There, we're in showcase season right now, and I'm not going to spoil anything here. But I've heard many, many things that are coming up that people don't even know about yet and it's, it's you know so so i'm in a weird place in that right. kind of sense but what made me go back to the journalism part of it was i kind of wanted to become a gamer again because okay. being a game dev makes you view games differently like every single game you play because you start analyzing it in this really creative but really deep sense of like, how did they do that? And you start thinking about the system behind the game rather than the game itself. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can see that. But being able to sort of switch to the journalism part of it was like, okay, that seems like a fun middle ground between being a gamer and being a dev, because I can have that deep thought process that I like to have, but Mm. I don't have to be so deep that I'm in my own head thinking about things that I can and make. You can give I'm a different perspective. A you can give a cool different perspective when you do a review that I can't or any of the other guys can. Yeah, because and, you've I, been I think, there, right? and I think, like you said, there are a few people, right? There are a few game dev people out there that you will see on content, and there are there are actually a few game devs that do reviews as well. You just wouldn't know that they were game devs because they don't talk about it as openly right. as I do. Um, but you know, we, it's the same as we see journalists going into game dev. Like, it's, yeah, the whole industry. That's what I'm saying. We see more journalists go to PR <laughs> and game dev than we see them go the opposite. The, yeah. the, the whole industry is kind of connected, and I think that ultimately mm-hmm. it's binded together by this love of video games that we all right. love, right? And all it is, it's each of these different sections of people that we're talking about: gamer, journalist, game dev. They just have different levels of understanding about certain things and they have different ways that they have to look at certain things and i like to look at things in all three ways that's ultimately what it comes down to and i i often say to people like it's almost like there are three brains inside my brain because there's jordan the game dev there's jordan the journalist who reviews video games in a you know in a somewhat professional capacity and then there's Jordan, the gamer that just likes the games he likes and yeah. doesn't always want to explain why he likes them or whatever, you know? Right. So. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, it, it's a really, that's a really cool perspective to have. Uh, I, you know, I will say as a person that's been writing about games since like 2007, it's your mind becomes, you look at things a lot differently. Just, I want to play this game and that's what I like. And like you, you have an, uh, appreciation for all the games and then people will get mad at you because it's like why do you never just not like this thing why do you not just go out and hate on this thing and it's like that's just not do, do you know when, when you're a journalist is... that's not your point that's not your, your and also it's not even only that i think that when yeah. you're when you're a journalist that's playing so many games i yeah. think what happens is 
it forces you to look deeper. So you end up appreciating mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't you appreciate the medium before. as a whole, like yeah. what it takes to do that. And also yeah. the other thing is, cause uh, I remember recently IGN released a little video responding to why most of their games don't score below a seven. And there was a bit of a weird conversation mm-hmm. about it, but something I did want to sort of bring up because we're talking about reviews is how, you know, like, <sighs> The reason most games don't score below a seven, even outside of IGN these days, is because games are a lot better than they yeah. used to be. Most games oh, are good. Like, right. like most games just are good now. And and yeah. and you know, when we say most games, we're not talking about like there are thousands of video games released every year. But most games, and I think that was what was getting lost on what IGN were potentially trying to say is that most games you hear about and see on on main platforms like Steam, Xbox, PlayStation, whatever, not on, uh, you know, Itch.io or, or something like that, you know, yeah. not on these uh, kind of free download websites where anyone can publish anything, but most games from proper full-time studios, indie or all the way up to AAA, nowadays, I would say that, you know, I don't know the numbers, but I would guess that at least three quarters of those games are good. <laughs> and, and, and also, you can't afford to have a game just come out and be bad anymore because it can totally just kill your studio. You, you have to make a, a good game at least. So I think so. I think that overall quality is much higher, and I think that that's why it goes back to what you were saying. Of some sometimes people sort of go, "Oh, why don't you?" why don't you shit on this game, you know? Why don't, why don't you, you know, why don't you say something really bad about this game because you clearly don't like it? And it's like, yeah, I might not have enjoyed the game, but it doesn't mean there's nothing that I appreciated about it because right. even a bad game does something well. Even a bad game right. has something it Like, does you well. can see what it's trying to do, Yeah, right? And, and be like, man, if they would have just gotten, the, like, Redfall just is missing the hook. Redfall's yeah. missing the thing that makes it fun, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. It's like there's a good game here. It's just yeah. missing the. Yeah, the... it was like a, a friend yeah. of mine played a friend of mine played Redfall, and he was saying, <laughs> just like except Gollum, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> the way so the way so this friend of mine said that the way he would describe Redfall is that it's not even a bad game. It's just technically broken. And it's a bit boring because yeah, it doesn't really exactly. have anything exciting about it. Mm-hmm. But the weird thing is, I think the reason that it's potentially boring for some people is I think people feel like it's generic because they've played this kind of game so many times before, right? But right. as a creator, that's that's a really hard thing to deal with because, let's be real, and I'm not speaking specifically on Redfall here, but sometimes you can be forced to make a type of game that you don't necessarily want to make. Sometimes you can be forced to cut back on creative ideas or the creative vision that you did have for a game because of budgetary reasons or because you haven't met a certain deadline and, and yeah. things like that. Time things reasons. Change. You need things to get that can game change out. so quickly, right? Yeah. And some of those things are not in your hands we could go all the way back to cyberpunk and we know now that that dev team sort of got thrown under the bus by by their leadership over there because the decision was made to just ship the game 
even right. though they were made aware that it was not ready and they were made no. very clearly aware that it was not ready so you know uh, i just i would remind people that these people that are making video games always do so with the best intentions and and they are people right? <laughs> yeah. yeah i think people sometimes so, forget that too they're people <laughs> like yeah and you know it's devastating it's like we all remember that Corey barlog video right where he was yeah. reacting to the god of war scores mm-hmm. we all remember that can you imagine if he had done that and god of war was scoring like redfall can you imagine what his oh, reaction god, would have been? I cannot been? imagine like the tears he probably like, would have been in and everything like, else. Like, and that's the thing is like people literally spend years of their lives making these things hoping you will enjoy them. But what yeah. you don't hear about is the challenges they face along the way. Nobody right? goes into it wanting to make a bad game. No. You know? No. And, and, and all I would say is just be aware that sometimes the game that you end up seeing from any studio isn't the game that they originally necessarily wanted to make it's like even in the six hours that i've played of redfall i think there are things there that you can see that make it more of an arcane game than it is and that makes me think maybe they cut back on some stuff you know because it's kind of like the arcane dna is in there there's just not enough of it (laughs) right (laughs) And it sort of makes it a little bit generic. And it's like, but is it, you know, and I think that's the thing is people are just so negative around anything. It's like, mm-hmm. and this isn't Redfall specific, but it's any game. It's almost like, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's almost like if a game isn't good, then it has to be bad. And there is yeah, a middle ground. There's no middle, two things. there's no middle ground anymore. It's either the most amazing thing you've ever played or oh my god it sucks it's like you're saying like the seven no more just means oh i can have a good game right Mm -hmm. no it's oh it has to be a nine or i'm not touching that thing and it's like (laughs) look i I get it that the game costs 70 dollars, and as somebody that i don't have 70 dollars to just throw around every time i want to play a game i get that and that's why i do understand where people go look i don't have time i don't have the money to invest in seven or six games yeah and i get it but it's you shouldn't shit on it like just say hey this is a good game and and i'll play it when i can and the other thing to remember is i understand why people don't do that but just remember when you're making those decisions that that seven or sometimes even that six might be Mm -hmm. a nine or a ten to you to you it might be a nine or a ten because scores don't really exist scores are too you know scores don't actually sum up what a game is scores are just a number (laughs) so you can sort of understand why but it's that's why you're supposed to read the reviews so you get an understanding (laughs) or watch it but i get it people don't have time so that's why the score is there to kind of just give you a summation oh hey this is what i thought about it uh i mean the same thing for me that's that's what one of dead was it was a six maybe seven game somebody's going to love the hell out of that thing and say it's a 10, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know. So uh, another one of my favorite games that sort of ties into the Metal Gear thing, which I think we'll talk about in a second, but I loved Death Stranding, right? I loved Death Stranding from Kojima. And um, some people hated that game, you know? Mm -hmm. Some, Some people really didn't like that game, but I loved it. But that's the thing is that game by itself kind of proves the point. 
that for some people that game's like a five out of ten. For me, yeah. that game was a ten out of ten. It's oh yeah. We can all think differently about things, and that's okay. <laughs> it's you know we all have our own opinions. We all have our own taste, and I would just remember that nobody's tastes, no one in existence, not skill up, not me, not Sean, not not even Jeff, who's in the chat, right? No one's tastes. 100% reflect your own so right. never take them completely at their word use their review as a guideline for what you might think or what you might experience but be aware that your experience can vary <laughs> and that's why I always say find the people that mostly agree with your tastes and if they tell you it sucks and you really need that somebody's recommendation to decide whether you're going to spend 60 or 70 dollars or something then cool don't yeah. read every freaking review that's out there because then they're not going to have the same thought as Absolutely. you. you know? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's, there's a zillion games out there. There's something always for you. And like you said, um, yeah, well, we, we uh, do need to get into this PlayStation showcase thing, which I, I want to see it from your side mm -hmm. because the if you would just read a take online and look i felt it my friends that are sony people felt it disappointment i think disappointment is a fair word but so i don't think it's the worst thing in the world either okay so yeah. i'm gonna ask you something before i answer what you just said why 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 is it disappointment why are people feeling disappointment okay um all right so uh, there was a lot of games that I like that I liked that I'm interested in. When I went through the list, I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of great games here that I think I'm going to enjoy." I think the problem is when Sony puts the label "showcase" instead of "state of play," you're expecting you're going to get the bombastic AAA single player games that everybody loves, and not yeah. just Spider-Man Two, right? And they absolutely. didn't provide that. Yeah, but I'll, I'll but I'll go back to another thing though. I I absolutely do agree with that from and a Sony. Gamer... And I will say that sorry, so I interrupt you. Normally, Sony will set expectations with okay. their state of place. So they didn't I... set expectations with this. So what I would ask is, I sort of agree from a gamer perspective. I think that you know, and and full disclosure, I I you know, I was aware of some things in this showcase etc so i'm going to talk about it more widely than specific right, to fine. this one but any showcase has a purpose right and i think that when you look at what sony released perhaps they did set expectations a little bit incorrectly but the other thing is people need to remember and and jim ryan has made this quite clear that sony and playstation are clearly changing direction somewhat they are clearly right. changing direction somewhat because they see the data they know that people's tastes are changing they know that yeah they're amazing at these single player games but let's be real as a gamer this is me as a gamer speaking they do have massive holes in their first party offering oh, oh yeah they sure do they and i think that this showcase was them showing okay, we're not always going to do the same thing. We're, we are doing things differently. 
and these are the things that are different that are coming, right? And then they did have massive third-party things. One that I loved, yeah, one that I really, really loved because I've been waiting for and I've been waiting to see for a long time is Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed, Mirage, like that game looks like exactly what I want it to be. Yes, it's not exclusive, but I think that the issue is people go... I think that because Sony was quiet for so long... I think mm-hmm. people had an unreasonable exactly. level of expectation. Yes. But some of that expectation was set by Sony and some of it was not. And they cannot... It's not their fault that people get overly hyped. Like, no, no, it definitely is not. No. Ultimately, that's always going to happen. I think that most people, when they were able to take a step back the day after or since the showcase has happened, sort of look and go, actually, that was quite strong. You know, mm-hmm. I saw Tim Gettys from Kind of Funny say that the thing about the PlayStation showcase is it was almost like a post-Avengers Endgame Marvel movie where it's not necessarily as good as what came before, but it's still right. stronger than most things. And I think that that's the problem is people are disappointed just because they expected more. They're not actually disappointed in what was there. It's also Sony's fault because they could have easily labeled this state of play and it would have been one of the best, if not the best state of play ever. And then they put that. I do agree with, I do agree with that, but why should that really matter? Like ultimately, because Sony has set that expectation. They have, but they've only set that expectation because they've done what they've done. How many showcases now? This is like the fourth one, the third one, fourth one. one. Yes, you're right. Fourth one. Yeah. Cause they had two in one year. Right. Yeah. So, so they've done four and they've had one, they've had one that has been disappointing out of four. You're always going, no matter how good you are. And Sony have been really strong for a decade. Right. But even within that decade, when E3 existed, they had bad E3 shows. They had E3 yes, showcases yes. that were not as good. You are always going to have some that are bad. I think that the issue is because they had been consistent recently, it was kind of this expectation of, oh, this is going to be the massive blowout moment, right? And whether that's right or wrong doesn't really matter. But I think in a wider sense, that always happens to everybody. You know, like we can we can talk about... Look at Xbox. For for yeah. ev- every year now, people have been sort of waiting for this massive, almost like year of dreams type moment for Xbox, right? The reality is that's not really the way f- the way that things function anymore. There's like yeah. there's too many leaks for things to feel truly special. So that's one thing is I do think leaks take away from how good these shows are because people go in and they're not as surprised and they're not as blown away because they've heard that a certain thing might be happening. For example, how big would that MGS snake eater reveal have, how big would that have been if no one had heard anything about it? Right. Nobody like, that's the thing too, is you're right about that. Also, I think the, the tale of, from when we start hearing about stuff to when it comes out yeah. is long. Like yeah, we is. start hearing about things way <laughs> early. Yeah. And then when you finally get the reveal and it's not this like, oh my God, 
blow your mind thing. People are like, okay, that's it's almost fine, like people whatever. think that yeah. just because you heard about it earlier means it's going to blow your mind more, and it yeah. doesn't. The reason you're hearing about it earlier is because games take longer. Let's be real; it, they yeah, take longer take than longer they've ever. They've take they take longer now than they've ever taken. We also are still in a period. Just to be very clear, we are still in a period where the industry is recovering from the impact that COVID had on mm-hmm. development. So there are projects that are still behind where they would right. have been. I know, uh, and I'm not going to speak to specific projects, but I know that there are several Xbox first party games that would have been out by now if COVID hadn't happened. Right. In a normal development space, they would have had several more games out this generation already. So that kind of tells you a lot, right? Like even Sony, Sony announced some of their games too early and they ended up having to delay them. So I think the problem is you get this weird sort of situation where you end up hearing about games so early that people care less about them when they do finally see them. Right. And then social media makes it to where we know too much. Like if, if you're the hardcore gamer watching this, not the player that just watches (laughs) these things and then, they play those guns whenever they come out. Yeah. You know way more than we used to know when we watched. Absolutely. Three, Absolutely. Right? You you do know way more now. Yeah. And but also not only that, but it's like if if companies don't speak about games early, what then happens is, oh, you've got nothing. You, you know, yeah, your show exactly. had nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah. kind of like this is why. So I'm gonna translate it to the Xbox situation because I think they're in this kind of weird situation right now where they showed some stuff early in, in you know in 2020 they showed they they kind of revealed fable they revealed a few other things that were early projects at the time that were not going to be ready to be shown in 2021 or 22 right and people right. perhaps unreasonably expected that they would be but mm-hmm. That so I would say that to a certain extent, expectations around the industry and when you will be shown things need to change because right. and, and I think Sony tried to set them with this showcase where they were not going to show you stuff from 2024 and beyond because, no, because what's the point? It, yeah. One is like what's the point of showing you something too early? But this is the problem that, for example, Xbox have where maybe Sony get a little bit more leeway with because they've been Sony because they've been so consistent mm-hmm. can have a showcase where they don't show you as much or they can have a period where they go really quiet without saying anything for a long time and people don't care as much people right sort of are more willing to wait with Xbox they're now in a situation where people are saying that this year is kind of make or break for them and they have to start showing things. Yeah. Oh, Starfield has and, to be a and, 11 out of 10 game. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's because they showed things early, right? But the problem mm-hmm. is if they didn't show those things early, then this generation would have been dead on arrival for them anyway because yeah. they weren't in a situation. But where now the problem is that when you have enough. this showcase in June, yeah, people are think people are saying, okay, well, we got to see all these games now. Precisely. Right. So I just think yeah. that ultimately, whichever whichever company you're following, I just think that there's only so much setting of expectations they can do, and expectations always get out of hand because it's like with Xbox and with Microsoft, 
because they've invested a lot of money and they've bought a lot of studios, I think that the expectation was, oh, they bought studios in 2018 and they bought studios in 2020. So by now they should be having like four or five games every single year. Yeah, and I mean, that's Phil just... Spencer also <laughs> set that expectation badly too. He right? did. He, said, I... he did. Yeah. But but that's I think the problem with that is you have to remember that some of these people, and you know, Phil Spencer being one of them. They are future looking. So when they're telling you what their goals are, they don't mean soon. They, they Unless they tell you soon, they don't mean soon. So when Phil Spencer initially said, I believe it was a couple of years ago, he came out and said, like, yeah, we want to aim for one game per quarter. Exactly. He, yes. he didn't mean that was going to be next year. He didn't even mean it was going to be the year after. That was his long-term goal for where they wanted exactly. to get to as a first-party output, right? But I think people don't... The problem is people don't read things that way. The problem is when you say something and it's out in the public, people then go, well, you said that three years ago, so where is it? But mm-hmm. game dev mm-hmm. doesn't work that way, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, then, have... and then the pandemic screwed up everything because it set everything yeah. back for like well, three or four years, probably. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll, so I'll look at it like this, right? I'll look at it like this. The studios they bought in 2018, so they bought uh, Obsidian, for example. Obsidian have released a few smaller games since being purchased. Yeah, they've released. Obsidian's been their number one. Without Obsidian, they have nothing. Precisely. But it's like, so they bought a lot of studios in 2018. I can't remember exactly how many. But if you go back and look at those studios, many of them were either just finishing games and releasing them or had just released. So they were starting brand new projects after being acquired. How long does right. how long does the average game take to develop, would you say? Around five, six, even seven years, depending on how big it is. Yeah. Right? So for if so it's for, a smaller game, maybe less, maybe three, yeah. four. So yeah. for your average AAA game, you're probably looking at five to six years now. And mm-hmm. so for all of those studios bought in 2018, every single one of those studios, they would have maybe been ready to start showing this year, right? In a right. normal development circumstance. And I'm sure that some of them definitely will be. I mean, Phil Spencer himself has said as much that they are going to start showing the pipeline. And, you know, we have to wait and see what, what they show and how people feel about it. But... The reality is all of those studios that started developing games in 2018, by 2020, so halfway through their development, development was hit by COVID. And what I can say is from my experience during COVID development, when I was part of a team, uh, things were taking about three times longer than they normally would because everyone was working from home. You had to you know share assets and all this kind of stuff it was very very weird and things that would normally take us a week or two weeks were taking us sort of like three to five weeks and when you think about that being every single week of work think about how far behind you actually get even if that period only lasted for three months but if you had three months that actually you only got a a one month's worth of work done you know like the equivalent of one month's worth of work like everything took about three times longer that's and also remember that everybody is isolated as well yeah so So you're not when you have the office communication 
So you're not sitting there with like, let's say your whole team can all gather around one computer and give each other ideas or whatever. You're having to, in isolation, think about what they want you to do. And then the next morning, present it to your team and then have it. So you're already behind that way as well. Absolutely. So it's it's just, yeah, it's a really weird situation. And I think that ultimately these showcases, I get why, because I actually think in the last couple of years, we've had a few where people have sort of said, oh, that's disappointing. Or, oh, you know, that was missing the big hype moment or the big one more Mm -hmm. thing moment. And the problem is those one more thing moments will probably never happen again because too much stuff leaks and, Mm -hmm. and the, and the amount of time games take, it's not worth showing things too early anymore. Exactly. Like there's, you don't want to fall into what Nintendo has at Metro Prime 4. Yeah. Or we don't even know where that is. Like you don't, you don't want to do that anymore. It's like, I'll, I'll use Fable as the example. Xbox showed Fable or they announced Fable as a project in 2020, right? In the summer of mm-hmm. 2020. That game, uh, you know, might, if we're lucky, might come out next year. Might, it, it, But for all we know, it could still be three years away because they might have announced it when it was first starting development. And, and it's like, I get that in some cases you have to do that. And as I was saying just now, I think that Xbox, especially in 2020, were in a situation where they had to show things early because people right. feel like they, they had, had to give you a reason to buy the Xbox series. Yeah. But the problem yeah. is, and we've said it before, I know this, Sean, but I think that most gamers don't think about things that way. They don't know. They don't use logic in their thinking of how long things no, take. I want it. I want it right now. That's yeah. What, that's the logic. Uh, and I think that that's where the disappointment yeah. comes from. It's like, okay, you haven't heard from some of the PlayStation Studios that you wanted to hear from. That doesn't mean they're not making the games. You know, right. you'll hear about them when it's ready to hear about them. <laughs> now, I I think, and I agree with you there completely. I think part of the issue is. Let's say, aside from Bungie, which that's what they do, let's say some of these studios were single-player games and not multiplayer games. I think the majority of people would have had a different take. Absolutely. I think it's because people don't want to embrace the... And, okay, I'm going to give you two points. They don't want to embrace this future because they don't like those type of games, and they don't want to embrace this future because we've seen... For every success in live service, we've had about 10 of them fail. And they don't want to see Sony go through that where they're trying to get the one big hit and they have like five of these things fail. Absolutely. And yeah. And I don't get me wrong. I understand that fear, right? But the reality is that not everything that a platform holder does is for you. And and they they have a business to run. And ultimately... I'll I'll be I'll be doom and gloom for a second, but I'll get to a point. If Sony stayed just making the single player games that they're known for, in the style that they're known for, eventually they would die, because players' tastes change over time, and what players want changes. Yeah, and ultimately that's all they're trying to do is show that we've got more right. than just single player games and and that does mean exactly like with nintendo sometimes nintendo will have a showcase and it will have nothing in it for you right 
yes, and then the next showcase will be all for you and, mm-hmm. and like ultimately that's a very good thing because that's a healthy ecosystem because not everything should be for you and i think that maybe the disappointment like you're saying comes from the fact that playstation were known for single player narrative driven games and that's what everyone wants to see from them because that's what they're used to but the reality is we know because they've said they've said as much publicly they are moving away somewhat from as many single player games as they and i think the people don't realize as well is that if you only stayed in this lane the only option you have is to keep ballooning the budget to the point where it's unsustainable and you have nothing to fall (laughs) back on when one of these doesn't hit. Yeah. And that, you know, there's a reason that there's a reason that they followed suit like with PlayStation plus and everything, because they're trying to make money, right? They're ultimately they're trying to make money. They need things that give them constant money. If they can find so we've heard, we've heard that some of the games they're working on are going to be free to play, right? Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, if they find a free to play hit that is something like Fortnite, I guarantee you that's good for everyone because what happens is they then make so much money that they can invest yeah, in more single exactly, player stuff, right? They but, can buy more studios again, off it, of that. It, they it can. goes back to I think the majority of gamers only care about themselves, rightly right. so, because as a and gamer, the majority of hardcore gamers do not. The majority of hardcore gamers, the ones that don't just buy the one, two, three game every year, mm-hmm. they like those single player games because that's what they like and they don't w- either want to venture out into the multiplayer sphere or they don't like those games so the stuff you hear is from social media but not from the people that are gonna mostly buy your game which are the people that are not the hardcore people <laughs> and they don't care they just see it as oh man another game i can play with my friends that's yeah. that's freaking yeah. awesome okay uh, cool uh, you know and the thing is like not everything has to be for you and i think that yeah you know PlayStation have focused on one genre and one specific type of player for a decade now. And right. I think, that, let's be real, people don't like change, but PlayStation are that clearly too. changing. That too. And I think that now that the expectation is, okay, maybe everything from PlayStation first party won't be for me anymore, that's okay, right? right? Because now that expectation is there of, okay, they are changing and we won't always see. I think Jim Ryan uh said recently on some sort of earnings thing that they've moved um to like 60 percent of their entire development budget is now going to go on multiplayer or games as a service type games yes which which is a massive increase and and that's the thing too right like what people don't think about is that remember that jim ryan is not sean layden or whoever was also running it at the time that's the vision that they had. Yeah. The vision and- that Jim Ryan has is now starting. This is his first showcase where these are Jim Ryan yeah. games. And and look, right. I, I'm not I'm not a massive fan of any one person or any one direction, right? Because I think that variety is great. Exactly. But let's let's let them take their risk and let's let them play it out and see what happens. Because I can think of so one PlayStation uh, multiplayer that I really liked was the Ghost of Tsushima multiplayer, right? The Ghost mm-hmm. of Tsushima Legends, which was fantastic. It was so good that it became a standalone game, right? And how do we know that some of these multiplayer things 
I think that people, the problem is people have a lot of assumptions about what games as a service means. And I think that they have those assumptions because they're basing it on what kind of what they've seen in the past, right? But people are coming up with new ideas all the time. Let's wait and see some of these ideas delivered before we pass judgment because how do we know that this is actually going to be bad for anyone if you still get your massive single player franchises that you want does it matter that they're doing games that aren't for you as well right <laughs> like, yeah he that didn't say matter? that they were cutting them off right no he said and i think that all yeah. he said was like they're aiming for a minimum of two games per year which i thought was interesting because they're going right. on they're going for two instead of four. I think they're not committing to four because they know that if you commit to four and then you kind of miss a few, people will give you some bad press for it, right? Um, but it's like they've committed to two games per year. He's He has confirmed that more of their games will be multiplayer or games as a service style games over the next few years. I think he even went as far to say that some of the years there might not even be a single player game but yeah. but that's going to happen sometimes like you've had you've had a decade of amazing single player games you don't you know it's it's why do you do you want to just stay the same all the time or are you going to get bored of that eventually like maybe right. maybe look I'll I'll think of it in a creative way maybe the games that these teams are making are the games they actually want to make, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe they want I mean, to and then also games. some of these, these games aren't ready, right? Yeah. Uh, like uh, Last of Us Factions that everybody wanted to see, and everybody keeps saying, oh, no, well, I guess they're holding for Summer Games Fest, and then it comes out that apparently Sony is now using Bungie as a, as a buffer to tell them, hey, your game's going to work, or, you know, maybe your game's not going to work, you need to go back to the drawing board. I mean, it's bit. not a bad buffer, it, is it? If you're, no. if you're, if you're making yeah. a game of that style, Bungie is one of the best buffers to have because they are one of the proven uh, kind of successes right. of games of a service games, right? So, so, you know, whatever's happening over there is happening, and we'll yeah. see, and we'll see that game when it comes out, and whatever and we'll pass judgment then the only thing i would say on it is it's disappointing whenever any sort of project gets kind of slimmed down and maybe you can't see your vision out and kind of things like that but you know they also confirmed naughty dog confirmed that they are working on another single player game so yeah they're doing a multiplayer thing that they wanted to do but they're doing a single player thing that you want as well. So, you know, it's, it's like there can be, I think there's this, there's this weird situation in gaming where people think that if someone else has something, it's taking something away from you. And that's not really how gaming works. There can be enough for everybody. Like agreed there. Yeah. Uh, Like, like metal gear solid, right. Coming back and uh, having those, like, are you are you excited for everything for the for the um, collection? For, I mean, uh, so I don't. So I feel like I don't really need the collection. Do you know what I mean? That's my personal right. opinion on it. Like I've played, I've the collection's a nice thing, but I think for me that's more aimed at people that haven't played it before. 
like me, I love the fact that that's coming because now I can actually give this these ghost games a try. Yeah, and it's like one disappointment for me is um is like you know for me I would have loved to see because we know it's collection volume one, right? Mm-hmm. I want to know what volume two is. That's my thing. It's like I, I wonder know. are they going to because. I can't remember which one. There's somebody that did it like this where they released the originals and then there was remakes or remasters and they mm-hmm. also released those as well. I wonder in the second one, are we going to get the Twin Stakes remaster and all that stuff? I, like, I the mean, better I version. Mean, look, of, the, ma- the main one that yeah. I want because I, li- so I literally bought a PS3 to play Metal Gear Solid 4 and then yeah. sold the PS3. I feel like they have to know right? that they have to bring that forward in some way. So somehow, yeah. some way, they need to make that game work and they need to make it playable, you know? Yeah. It's and not, not streaming only. No, <laughs> yeah. it needs to be fully playable some right. way. And you know, it's like, so yeah, I am excited, but mostly I'm excited about the snake eater thing because like I said, that's one of my favorite games of all time. Right. I do I think it's the best metal gear solid game by quite a margin yeah. for me. Um, I think that, you know, it like, the story in it's fantastic. The characters are fantastic. Um, I'm. It's weird when you get to see. So, like, we saw a couple of snippets and a couple of screenshots, and like when you get to see these environments that you're so familiar with, kind of recreated and and looking in a new way. Because, um, you know, it's just like like you were saying earlier. Like, can you imagine if your if one of your favorite games of all time got a remake? Like. Just any game, like you, you oh, know. Dude, if, if you... Chrono Trigger ever gets a remake, I will be that person that goes absolutely nuts on the reaction. Screen. So that, and that's yeah. kind of yeah. how I feel. the The interesting thing is, uh, that was one in this showcase that was, you know, it wasn't a surprise for me. Um, but I think that's why I can relate to that whole thing we were talking about before about how when people aren't surprised i think it makes the impact of things smaller you know it right. makes it makes them feel not as special because they're not a surprise even though they are still special like the fact that metal gear solid 3 snake eater is being remade and it's not called metal gear solid 3 that's something to be super excited about yeah like, cuz they said that there's possibility they could do other remakes as well right so yeah so so you know, I would say be excited and and like I said, Metal Gear Three was a was a big one for me. Alan Wake Two, I thought looked fantastic. Yeah, uh, love it. I think Wake. that game doesn't get talked about probably as much as it deserves because it was kind of surrounded by Metal Gear and Assassin's Creed, which are two obviously massive franchises. But Alan Wake Two looks amazing. Yes, it does. Uh, just and I loved all the indies they showed in this too. So I'm going to be excited for all, all of those uh, when they come out. Uh, I know you only got a little bit of time. Left. I wanted to get into this really quick because it was shown at the showcase. And mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on like this. Uh, because Sony has, Jim Ryan also said that they were going to, which seems weird because like, why wouldn't you wait until after this Activision Blizzard thing to even announce this? Because you're not helping yourself. But Jim Ryan announced that cloud gaming is going to be a focus for them as well, right? Something that we haven't seen. Sony was first to market with that, but we haven't really seen them go hard on it. Mm-hmm. And they announced this Project Q thing that kind of looks like they just smashed two PS5 controllers into a screen. But, like, what do you think about this 
shouldn't they wait until they have the whole thing together maybe include cloud as well like xbox does and then announce this or i mean announce it now like i mean look i i don't know about as far as the device goes i don't i don't really know i would again i was full disclosure i was made aware of the device before this announcement um right but as so as far as the device goes, I don't really know if you wait for the announcement. But on the cloud gaming thing, I think that is interesting, right? Because I think that Sony, in some ways, as far ahead as they as far ahead as they are, Sony in some ways have always been playing catch up a little bit, right? Like right. we saw PlayStation Plus relaunch, and they knew they had to do that because Game Pass was becoming so successful that they had to have some sort of comparable thing. Um, and I think cloud services is kind of the same thing, right? Because to some level, cloud gaming is where we're going. Is it ever going to be the main thing? Probably no. not. But VR is never going to be the main thing either. Like, VR will never be the main thing. Um, so, you know, I'm never going to put them down for investing in cloud and I think that's a good thing. And I think that the more they can offer to players and I think they're starting to come around to this idea of what Xbox has been doing for years, which is let's become an ecosystem rather than just a console. Uh, and I think that, you know, the problem is nobody knows how to judge that right now because right. these platforms being an ecosystem is a new thing. And that's why xbox is still held to the same standards as playstation even though they're doing something really really different but they must be doing something right because playstation is following them do you know what i mean right. they're full yeah they're following them in terms of sony's wanted to do stuff with phones for a long time they even had their own phone they still yeah. sort of do and they really couldn't get it to hit with making games native on the phone no. uh you know they 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 killed their own vita uh so <laughs> Um, now they're kind of being like, okay, what's a, a cheaper way for us to do compete with Nintendo and also keep step with, with Xbox. And this yeah. is kind of the marriage because, of that. Well, the thing yeah. is, yeah, look, if we look at technology, cause I got, I've made a little bit more time. So I got about five minutes here, but if we look at technology, um, and kind of how, if, if one person makes headway, in a certain direction that technology is going and the others don't follow them, they get left behind. Right. So right. the reason the 360, for example, was so successful is they came out earlier. They read the market right in terms of online multiplayer gaming, and they made sure their multiplayer services were better than anybody else at the time. So they read the market, right. And they sort of, for a few years there, left the competition behind because mm. the competition didn't read the market right um and then with the xbox one they sort of read the market wrong but weirdly they were kind of half right as well <laughs> and you know some people in hindsight now sort of say maybe they should have stuck to their guns because actually some of the stuff they were saying back then about exactly. digital it's games happening now right? actually became real so they were reading it right. They were just way too early. Um, and I think that PlayStation, PlayStation's thing and Sony's thing has always been, 
I feel like they're not as much of an, and I'm going to get, you know, I don't want to be negative because I don't mean this in a negative way, but I don't think they're as much of a pioneer as, as people potentially think they are. I think what PlayStation are really good at is they let other people take the first steps, right? Right. And, and then they just they, do it better. And then they go, yeah. okay, let's do what they're doing, but better. And they always do it better every time. And it's, and, it, and it's, I think, you know, cloud is an important component of where we're heading as an industry, even if it will never be the main thing. Like I play, I play, you know, sometimes I remember I was playing Yakuza like a dragon. And when I was playing through that, there's a mini game in there where you're kind of running your own business. And I would do yeah, that using that cloud on awesome. my phone. Like I would play that entire business thing on my phone using cloud. So so actually if they're going to position it if they're going to position it as an additive thing and in a similar way to Xbox with XCloud, if it's like okay this is an additive thing then maybe they should have waited with the device, right? But if they are going in a different route with it where they want and I don't think it will, but if they're starting to think about it being their main thing in a longer term vision, I think that would be a mistake because I actually think that's the biggest mistake these companies are making right now because I don't think cloud gaming is ever going to be. I I think it will be big. Don't get me wrong. I think especially on mobile phones and on TVs, cloud gaming will be big, but let's not forget what gaming really is. Like people thought consoles were going to die over a decade ago and they're still going. And that's because people will always want consoles. They always will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I know you got to go. So uh, thank you so much, Jordan, for being on. Really thank appreciate you for, it. Thank you Man, for having me. I've learned so much here. You're like a book I want to like study from now. It's like, uh, uh, well, <laughs> I'm definitely happy to come on again in the future. So let's arrange that because i've enjoyed being on here and this is actually my first podcast appearance of the year so yeah i mean i know you're gonna have your own uh podcast over there analog stick with jeff so yeah. i don't know if you want to promote really quick or... uh so yeah basically um our actual so our podcast twitter is gaming mix pod so at gaming mix pod uh i'll send sean the link and he can share it in the comments in the description um but yeah just follow us because that's coming soon i'm sort of preparing things i'm because i'm running the podcast side of things mostly and then me and jeff are going to host it but we'll have guests on there as well we're going to have different topics every week hopefully we'll start around the time that xbox has their showcase in a couple of weeks but i don't know if we'll be ready yet for that um but yeah give us a follow and uh yeah you know i hope to see some of you over there and if you've come from here please say hello to us when we start up (laughs) yeah for sure man well uh, i'll go ahead and let you go and get what you need to get done there and uh, yeah hopefully we can have you on again man yes absolutely see you soon all right well i've never been in this position before where i kind of have to continue the show by myself we kind of got on to uh some tangents and and he had so much good to say that it was hard to stop him sometimes and he he kind of went on to some of the topics anyway that i already had so i won't really get to talk to him about he had a really interesting thought on the the xbox cma stuff because he's from the uk so 
he knows a lot about that, which I wanted to get to, but we, we had a lot of things to talk about here. Um, and he also had a good thought on the Lord of the Rings Gollum stuff because he is a dev and he could give me that perspective. So I'm, I'm not really going to talk about those things here. We've also talked about the CMA and Xbox a ton on this show. So I'm not going to keep going on with that. Uh, what I will say that we didn't get into with the Project Q stuff really quick is I think that thing is actually a good idea to have a remote play device, a dedicated remote play device. It would be cool if Xbox could have one of those as well for cloud gaming, but they're kind of working with other people to have that. My issue is that it being Sony and it being a Sony thing, they're going to overprice this thing. And it's going to, obviously they don't care. Uh, They're making that as a companion. So maybe they don't really care how many people actually buy it, but they're going to overprice it to where there could be a lot more people like me that would actually appreciate having a dedicated remote play device because I remote play a lot um, to be able to just grab that thing, remote play with it, and I don't have to use my phone because I hate using my phone to remote play because it doesn't feel good to use the buttons on the screen or even if I use my controller. And uh, I, I want to be able to have my phone there if I get a notification or I need to look up something and I don't have to turn the game off I think a lot of people understand where we're coming from with that if you're a, you're a console gamer. Uh, so having the device is a good idea. And especially if you can put cloud onto it later where you can be like Xbox and play it somewhere, like a doctor's office or whatever, that you're sitting there and you know you're going to be there for a couple of hours. Um, I think the issue is going to be if they make this thing $300, you're really pricing it out. Like people are not going to pay what they pay for a switch to have this just because it could possibly hit 1080p and 60 FPS. I think people are just going to be like, well, I'll just play on my console. You know, um, it's, if it's not really doing anything different than I can do on my PC, on my laptop or on my phone, it's not really providing something that I need. And a lot of people need, I think if you price this at like say 150 max, it may become an impulse buy for people. I might really think about it at 150. I'd love for it to be 100, but that's probably way too low for what it's going to be able to do. But I think once you get it to the price of a Switch Lite at 200 or even more than that, you are going to price a lot of people out of that. So I think be careful, Sony, with what you price that thing at if you actually care about having people buy it. If you're just making it so that it's another accessory that people decide to buy whenever the hell they want, like a lot of your other accessories because you make a lot of money off accessories, then cool, whatever. But I just would hope that they price it modestly to try to get the most out of it. But we know how Sony works. They're probably not going. Uh, Yeah, and thanks, Jeff, for staying in here. You're right. Uh, The Sony tax is real, and Steam Deck is great for cloud remote play. Uh, Man, it's just like the price for the Steam Deck for me is like a lot. So, you know, um, when I'm at the point where I'm at that point where I play the Switch so much that I don't want to pay 500, 600, 700 for something. And at any point, they'll just announce the Switch too. And it's like, damn, I could have just saved the money for that, you know? So that's where I'm kind of in the situation where it's like, I don't know that I want to go spend a big amount of money on one of these portable things because the thing that I really want, the Switch 2, will get announced and then I won't have the money for that when it comes out. So that's where I'm kind of on the train of, okay, if this Sony thing was actually priced well, I'd go for it and it's not putting me out a lot. 
uh, whereas, you know, Steam Deck or whatever, that's a lot um, to do. I also kind of, I'm not one of those people that likes to mess with my computers too much. So that's also where I'm kind of on the thing with the Steam Deck, whereas like, I know the raw Jali sucks as far as like battery life, you know, knowing that if I want to play it at full settings, it's going to only last for an hour. That's kind of very off-putting. But if it's just going to be more plug and play, it makes it easier for me. But I don't know. There's also Google and I could use Google to figure that out um, if it really came down to it and I wanted to actually invest in it. Uh, something I did want to hit on that was going to be kind of our small one of a smaller topic uh, was that uh, there's been talk from Square Enix that they may consider removing the numbers from Final Fantasy in the future. Uh, due to the fact, very much like you see with movies nowadays, and even games, you'll get the subtitle instead of the next number. Because, why? Like, uh, I'll I'll use an example that I saw this week. Marvelous had their own showcase, uh, and they announced Rune Factory 6 is in development. Well, if I'm new to that Rune Factory series, which I've kind of always dabbled with, oh, maybe I want to get into it, seeing the number 6 on there. Is if if I'm a person that's just seeing that in a store, like, oh man, do I have to play the other five games to understand what's going on in Room Factory Six? Probably not. Most likely not. But I think that's the thing with Final Fantasy as well, right? We're at 16, and all the other games are available on almost all these systems at this point. So if I go search Final Fantasy and I find out that one through uh, 15 in Xbox's case. Uh, there's some missing in Switch's case and PS5's case. You're only missing like the 13 series, but that's a lot of games, right? And then you're talking about over a bunch of different systems. And then every time they come out with a new Final Fantasy, uh, he, you know, he mentions that I have we have to tell people in the on the marketing side, oh, you don't have to have played the other ones. So at some point, even though yes, for us hardcore gamers, does the subtitle mean that that game is lesser. Like let's say a uh, stranger of paradise, which is a game that I absolutely adored. I love it, but a lot of people didn't pick it up because it's not a numbered final fantasy. Right. Um, will it cause that problem for hardcore gamers where they're like, it's not final fantasy 17. I don't think that it's that quality. Um, I think that's also on square, right? If you're going to make that decision, you've got to make sure that you show that it's the same quality. So as a lover of Final Fantasy, would I hate for them to remove the numbers? Yes, I kind of would. I like the fact that there's a 1 through 16 kind of thing. I love that. I think it makes me feel like I'm rewarded for having played all those games or whatever. But I also kind of get it that, um, you know, it can also cause, as Jeff mentions here, with Legend of Heroes Trails games, where there's a lot of games and you don't know where they sit in the timeline or you don't know where they, uh, you know, there's no number to them except for like the Cold Steel series or, or whatever, where they're just a bunch of subtitles and you're kind of like, oh, these are kind of all connected sort of, but I don't know. And then you have to do a bunch of research. and, um, But, you know, I think they could also get away with it because let's be honest, even though Final Fantasy carries this huge name, it's not a game where I, I think with the numbered ones, if you're a legacy gamer and say you, you don't like game all the time, seeing that number on there makes you know, okay, they kept going with Final Fantasy. Okay. Maybe I'm, I'm connected to that as well. But 
if you're a new, so that's, that's the thing I think they have to kind of look at is what matters more the new gamer that might pick up a PS five and go, man, Final fantasy 16. God, that's a lot. But do you also have the gamer that maybe stopped playing and they decided to pick up a PS5 because they found out there was a Final Fantasy 16 or a Final Fantasy 17, and they know that their favorite series has continued, right? So I, I border on the side of this is the main game in the series. I think it needs to continue having the number. When you have the subtitles, that kind of lets people know, okay, this is a side game. It's not necessarily as important for me to pick up. Or like with Final Fantasy Seven. You're continuing that lineage, so you keep the same number. It just has a, another subtitle or whatever. But I think you're going to actually have more negative removing the the number than you will if you keep the number and just do what you've always done, which is explaining that, remember, none of these games are connected, really. You can just play this. It's just called Final Fantasy 17. So I kind of hope that they don't remove it because I think you have to explain more if you remove the number than if you just leave it. It's like the the Fast series that I just watched the movie. As ridiculous as those series are, I kind of get it that 10 is the next one. Instead of like, oh, you're going to call it Fast and Furious whatever. And it's like, well, now I really don't know where the hell this sits. So I'm kind of more in the line of let's keep the number going. Let's keep that number going and and see where it takes you. Um some of these things are really small, like uh, some of the Amigo Party Central, which is a game I'm looking forward to, because if for some reason you don't know me or haven't been listening long or watching long, I'm a huge rhythm game fan. So immediately when this was announced, I was all for like, oh, now I'm going to have to go pick this up. And the fact that it's going to have other Sega series as DLC as well is really awesome. And we won't have to be waiting too long. August 29th is the release date. There's going to be two editions, a digital deluxe edition also that's going to include a Sonic music pack. And we know how great Sonic's music is. So if you've been kind of paying attention to that game or looking forward to it, we know that August 29th is the release date now. Uh, AEW Fight Forever, which I feel like we've talked about a few times on here, now has a release date as well, June 29th. I'm kind of on that, that surface level of I don't really watch AEW. I don't really watch wrestling that much in general anymore, but uh, I love the fact that AEW can have its own game uh, and they have enough people on that can that can sell this where I do hope it does well because there's always it's good when there's competition. So if you can have a competition with the WWE games, I'm all for that. So hopefully this does well and some of you guys go and check it out. Uh, the Mario movie is now grossed to 1.268 billion worldwide, which is really close to Frozen 1. I remember talking to Mark when we first talked about how far can it go. I did not think it would get to Frozen 1 number. So the fact that it's probably going to surpass Frozen 1 and possibly even get as close to Frozen 2 as possible, that is a huge, huge win for Nintendo, for Illumination, for everybody. So you know for sure there's going to be more Mario and possibly Nintendo titles in the future. Uh, It's just more of like which ones? And when, um, <laughs> thanks Jeff. Yes. Oh, we should just call it fast 15 online. Uh, that's, that's the one we're going to call it. Uh, but yeah, man, it's cool. It's awesome. It's amazing that this Mario movie has done what it has done. Um, I'm so happy for Nintendo. I'm so happy that we have this. I just, 
And I trust that Nintendo, with the way Miyamoto is, whether it's a DK movie, whether it's a Zelda movie, whether it's Mario movie 2, whatever it is, it's going to be in good hands and it's going to be able to be a success. I'm sure there will be diminishing returns as this goes on. Uh, but if they can keep things fresh, man, this could be something that they're grabbing from very much like the Marvel movies or Star Wars movies. This could be another turning point and you have now created a franchise that could last for a long time and having these movies. So we know they're going to be games for them, but now imagine having its own franchise of movies. That is uh, going to be incredible when, if that ever happens. And then continuing to see these records we've broken, is this going to lead to that happening even more? So, yeah, get get ready for that because it's, it's happening. And also, uh, there was a Alone in the Dark showcase uh, this week. They revealed that the the release date is October 25th, which is very close to the other horror game uh, that we talked about from the showcase, Alan Wake 2. Uh, David Harbour from Stranger Things, also going to be in that Gran Turismo movie that's coming out, which that was shown at the showcase, which made everybody be like, why the heck are we showing movies? But remember, that's also showing you that Sony is about movies and TV shows now. They wanted to let you know that that was coming. Uh, Jodie Comer is also going to be, they're going to be the two leads uh, in the Alone in the Dark game. So if you're a big fan of the Alone in the Dark franchise, I liked what I saw from that showcase. So hopefully, you know, people, if if you're a big uh, Alone in the Dark fan and you watch that, uh, let me know what you thought uh, there for sure. And... I wanted to go back to this uh, showcase really quick um, just because I wanted to point out some of the the games that I really liked. Uh, obviously, I think all the big, you know, the AAA ones that they showed, I'm excited for Metal Gear because I never got to really give that franchise a shot when I was young. Um, I didn't really appreciate stealth games or games where I really had to think that much. Honestly, my my games that I played when I was Growing up was sports games, platformers, action games, and the RPGs, right? Um, aside from RPGs, I really didn't have to put too much thought into what I was doing. It's just click buttons, move the person forward, and and whatever. And I still like those games. But I've as I've gotten older, I've tried to learn to appreciate different kinds of games. And being able to start from the very beginning, because we're going to have the original Metal Gear games from the Nintendo, even in that collection. Uh, along with the ones that we know, uh, Solid 1, 2, and 3 to start out with. Like I said, I do wonder if we're going to eventually get the remakes in this and it really will be a huge collection or if they're just going to go with the numbered things. Uh, are they going to do things like portable ops and acid and stuff like that? Are they going to add those in there? That's going to be very interesting to how we put that. How, you know, how are they going to include those? And then, I mean, also... How are they going to get Metal Gear Solid 4 to work? Are they going to have to basically remaster it separately? Um, that would also, you know, give its own announcement, right? That, that would be a big thing that they could announce separately as well. So that's going to be interesting how that goes moving forward. And the fact that some of this collection is already coming this year, I think that's another win also uh, for that showcase. Um but I, I just wanted to mention some of the the smaller games uh, also that I think people should kind of look forward to if you're big into the indies. Uh, Plucky Squire looks great. Uh, Phantom Blade Zero looks very interesting. It kind of gave me some Bloodborne vibes with the aesthetic and, and all of that. It's supposed to be like 
kung fu steampunk supposedly uh has a semi-open world but just the the intricate sword play and all that stuff that they had and they also reminds you kind of sekiro as well so that looked really interesting um they've only made like mobile games in that franchise so hopefully this is one that does come out i know some people are worried about like this becoming another abandoned type thing where uh they're gonna announce this and then there's gonna be problems i think we shouldn't just already be counting chickens before they had sort of thing let it happen uh, stop trying to forecast doom and gloom already uh giant squid coming out with their new game of course this is from abzu and the pathless uh dev sort of the sea looks amazing you're freaking uh skateboarding snowboarding uh, in in the ocean like that looks awesome Th that's kind of the cool stuff that you don't appreciate necessarily when you first see it but when it's actually there on the console and you play it it's probably going to be really cool and then i loved greece when it came out i fought for it to be in our top 25 the year it came out because i loved it so much it's themes and the fact that nomada studios is making another game in neva uh, and it has this like awesome like paint style to it. Looks great. Uh, so that's another game that I'm totally just looking forward to. And Revenant Hill, which is from the same folks that made you'll you'll instantly be able to tell because the cat looks just like um, the one from Night in the Woods, but it has nothing to do with Night in the Woods. They're just using the same art style, uh, and it has to do, I guess, with the rich trials at some point here. But you also play as the cat, so you know. Everybody is uh, loving those cat games all of a sudden and cool to see that we're getting another one here. Um, certainly. Uh, Ultros looks cool. It kind of looks like uh, it's uh, one of those Metroidvanias that I can't think of the game this minute. And I'm not going to go crazy trying to think of it that um, that it looks like it looks awesome. I love the colors. I love the art style. That's probably going to be pretty cool. Uh, as well, and one that Mark would probably really love to be able to talk about, a game that he's been waiting on forever, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, is finally has a release window after all the development troubles that it's had. Uh, it's coming this winter, so it may not come this year. It could be early next year, but glad that it is getting some some publicity finally. Uh, as far as those you know multi live service games go. It is what it is, guys. I think we have to kind of understand the fact that Sony's going in this direction. Whether you like it or not, they've never said that they're not that they're gonna abandon the single player games. But look, look at what Epic is able to do with how much of a smash hit Fortnite has been. All the studios they've acquired, whether you like that or not, all of, having the Epic Game Store, having the epic creator stuff that they work with where creators get a piece of that. Uh, the development uh, pricing that they give developers on that store, uh, the, the Unreal Engine 5 being able to be what it is, like all of that is down to the money they make from Fortnite. And will Sony be able to do exactly that? I don't know, but everybody wants that. And you kind of need that. You need that game that is giving you money so you can be able to fall back on that if one of your big games don't hit. Like, you know, Jordan and I talked about, you can't just keep making the budget bigger and bigger and bigger and then think that that's always going to be a win because, yes, you, the, the gamer that loves that stuff, is always going to go buy it. But eventually, somebody's 
there's going to be a large enough contingent that are going to get tired of it. And yeah, I, I don't know uh, what's going to happen there as um, Jeff's letting me know that apparently uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 is probably not going to come uh, natively unless, again, this collection does well enough where they decide to just remaster it by itself, which may be something that they work on down the line. We don't know, but right now it coming as part of that collection is probably not going to happen. Yes, because they can't even get PS3 games to work natively on their console right now. Uh, it all has to work through streaming. So, and that's why we probably haven't seen a lot of PS3 games uh, come as part of the classics because it's not download only. It doesn't provide that that way that you can play as you do with the PS1 and PS2 and PSP stuff. So. Uh, that being said, I think I'm going to go ahead and get to the end here. Uh, I don't want to go into details on some of the topics by myself uh, without having somebody to kind of bounce off of because uh, I don't want to sit there and ramble. So there is, obviously, I'm sure most of you know, there's this big game called Street Fighter Six that's coming in a few days. I'm sure a lot of you played the beta that really wanted to have this game. Uh, Mark would probably be very excited about Street Fighter 6 coming and you know again hope you get better buddy and uh yeah Street Fighter 6 is for, by all accounts I didn't get to play the beta by all accounts is going to set the world on fire that thing I think Jeff and I talked about that last week as well it the excitement that people have for this uh is not what I remember from 5 uh, there's not that negative publicity from five also that you had like all oh, with the story modes coming later and all that other stuff. Six seems to be like a refresh of the franchise. It feels like with that story mode and everything else. So I'm expecting, and then supposedly reviews are going to hit on Tuesday for this. So get ready. Cause this is probably going to be uh, one of the big games as I talk about at the end of the year is street fighter six. There's some other stuff coming as well. So if you're not a street fighter guy, uh, Street Fighter uh, person, there's there's uh, quite a few things coming here. So System Shock's finally getting that remake. If you're a big fan of System Shock, it'll be there for you on everything but Switch. Um, so get ready for that. It's even coming out on Amazon Luna for those people that have that. Um, the Etrian at Odyssey HD, uh, they're not coming in a collection for PS4, but they are going to be on there. And then they're also going to be as part of a collection on PC and Switch. So if you like the first Etrian Odyssey games, uh, you can definitely go check them out now. And uh, we love Katamari Reroll and World Reveries coming as well. So I love those Katamari games. I don't know when I will pick this up, but I probably will eventually. Uh, EA's arcade baseball game, Super Mega Baseball, is coming. It's going to be out on everything. That's coming out also the same day as Street Fighter Six. So if you like these uh, Super Mega Baseball games, this is the fourth one. Uh, definitely, I'm sure you probably already have it in your uh, locked in there. I know Mark likes those games as well, so he'll have a lot to choose from there. And some uh, smaller games, Slayer's X Terminal Aftermath, Vengeance of the Slayer. Good lord, that is a long title. Uh, that's coming for Xbox and PC. Not sure if it's going to come to Game Pass or not. Uh, it's like a literal N64 like graphics Doom shooter. Uh, the <laughs> the story is a bit really crazy. If you watch the trailer, I definitely think you should watch it just for the laughs it's going to give you. And then Killer Frequency, that's coming on everything and VR. It's like a horror adventure game uh, that's coming out uh, as well. And then, of course, right around the corner next week, we're going to be talking about Diablo 4. So uh, if you're not playing Street Fighter 6, I'm sure you're going to be playing Diablo 4 pretty soon. And if you have the 
the early access, I think you get to start playing it this week. So yeah, get ready. We're, we're getting into that summer game season where there's going to be a lot to play. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure there's going to be something for you. I'm waiting for that final fantasy 16 coming up at the tail end of the month. Uh, so everybody that joined us today, again, sorry, it didn't have like the regular flow of how we do the show. This is going to be hard for me to do the timestamps, <laughs> Uh, Because we jumped into a bunch of different topics. But thank you so much for watching uh, live if you did or whether you listen later or watch later. Uh, Thank you so much to Jordan for being on this week. Um, We'll be I'll be back again next week. Not sure if it'll be Sunday or Monday, but we'll be back then. And remember, we're in the showcase season. So got the Xbox showcase, got Summer Games Fest, got Ubisoft. All that stuff is coming. So this is going to be a fun time for the summer here. So until next time, everybody, make sure you like and subscribe, follow on the YouTube channel. That helps a lot. Ring that bell. Whenever I do a show or we do a show, it'll be there. Uh, Remember to check out all the other stuff that's on the YouTube channel. The Radlitz guys do a great job with those movie reviews. Talk to Cakey guys do a great job with anime. Uh, You make sure you go listen. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff, for being in the the comments there, helping me along here. And yeah, we'll go listen on the podcast. Give us a review on Apple or Google or wherever it is you listen on Spotify. That helps so much so more people can know and grow the show. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.